Hello. Hello to you. Good day. Happy <laughs> Thursday. Thank you. It came fast for me this week. Super fast. This we skipped a couple of days. Somehow, <laughs> I'm not that... sure what happened. Somehow we're right, right here now. I think you're right. I think I, yeah. I missed a couple of days. Yeah, I... this was a goofball one. This is very strange. <laughs> I'll I'll talk about stuff. Sure. Are you telling me on the show? Okay, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Why not? That's very hey, good. Let's, let me just have a show. And thank you, phone, for reminding me to turn you off. Yay! I'd love to turn <laughs> you off. There we go. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Sneaky Dragon. My name is David Dedrick. I'm Ian Booth. And today I'm I'm uh, in in uh, honor of listener Edrigansky, sorry, writing in twenty four times. I'm drinking Dr Pepper, the uh, the official soda pop of Texas. <laughs> is that right? Is it uh, okay? It's its home state. That's the home state of uh, Dr Pepper is Texas, I believe. So okay, they drink it from their mother's. Uh, they well, it's their mother's milk to them. There is what I meant to say. Oh, that's not uh, that's not good at all. Uh, is there? Um, <laughs> Is there an actual Dr. Pepper? Or was that yes. I believe that the story is that the person who created the Dr. Pepper flavor named it Dr. Pepper in a sort of a suck-up attempt to uh, make good with his, with his wife's or intended intended's father. Right. So he was trying to like, you know, he's like, listen, I like your daughter. I really want to get on, get it on with her. If you're okay with this, I'm going to name a pop after you that people will think is pretty okay, but not something they want to have all the time or that much of. Okay, so she was at the time dating uh, Mr. Pibb, who was not a doctor. <laughs> He's not a doctor. Yeah, that's right. that's right. And so this was the thing. Because Coca-Cola was invented by a doctor. Was that it? was invented by Dr. John Pemberton. Okay. Pepsi was invented by a pharmacist, not a doctor, but a pharmacist, Caleb uh, Bradham. So it feels like all these people who should have been helping people with medical situations yeah. were inventing uh, super sweet soda pops <laughs> at the time. Like no one was getting treated for mm-hmm. you know their polio because uh, these guys were all doing this. Well, first for one thing, they they weren't really uh, there wasn't like a big polio outbreak at the time, so it probably wasn't on pe- the front of people's minds, but. Okay, you know, but uh, so it's hard to get mad at someone for not curing something that you know is happening like once or twice a year. But okay, well, I don't want to name all the diseases. Yeah, let's 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 name them through. So I mean, they'd already you know they already found the the vaccine for for smallpox. Okay, that was a big step. That was a big step. Time to make a soda pop. But I don't think that's a pharmacist's job. Like pharmacists aren't making; they're not finding the cures for things. They are merely mixing up the medicine, right? Usually in a base, and, and uh, back then, uh, like a pharmacy would have a soda jerk somehow. <laughs> like that was a, yeah. that was that weird situation. Like if you go yeah. now to uh, Europe, mm-hmm. and you go to like uh, I'm going to go to a drugstore. No, you won't, Jack. Yeah, you're not going to do that because there's going to be the pharmacy. Yeah, and then there's going to be a completely separate store that would sell all the drugstore things. We do not let those two meet. Mm-hmm. Back in you're going to go to the chemist, is what you mean to say? Yeah, the chemist or whatever yeah. in their uh, Spanish language or French talk. Um, you know, that kind of thing. They speak other languages over there for some reason. Uh, but like they would have a big counter and uh, they're the soda uh, things and they have a soda jerk 
And yeah. uh, so he'd make sodas and jerk chicken. That's why he was called that. <laughs> oh, I thought he was just rude. Uh, yeah, and he was. A, he was also. That's where that expression comes yeah. from. Yeah. Just like uh, you know, I'd like a, I'd like a Coca Cola, and he would go like, "Would you like some jerk chicken?" And he'd go like, uh, "No," and he go, "Shut up, you!" And he'd go, oh, jerk. <laughs> what a jerk! This person gave that to me. Okay. For some reason, yeah. If you went in to buy your uh, drugs, or I need to purchase a package of condoms, uh, then you gotta like you know get some candy and. Uh, uh, you know, a, a malt. Well, you're not, you're not required. Thing. There's not. It's not a law. Mm-hmm. Although in but, Texas, I think it is on the on the books. Okay. That you have to get something sweet when you go into a pharmacy. I need a pack of horses and a Dr Pepper. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. A, fresh, pa- a fresh pack of horses. horses please. Mm-hmm. Or fresh horses. Yes. Yeah. You don't want to get the stale horses. <laughs> the tailed horses. You don't want that. No. No. Yeah. I never heard of that expression until that movie. What movie is that? Fresh horses. And the movie's called Fresh Horses? There's a movie called Fresh Horses with Molly Ringwald. Yes. Oh, did not know that. I believe there's also horses in Oops, it. I don't off. completely remember the film. Uh, I, uh, I Molly Ringwald, to me, kind of peaked after Facts of Life. So. Really? I had a big crush on Molly Ringwald when I was a boy. Oh, okay, okay. And it was, it was when she was on Facts of Life. And then they had the big purge of uh, most of the girls on Facts of Life. And Molly Ringwald was one of them. Uh, she would sing on the show, which I found very, oh boy, <laughs> as a young boy. Uh, and then uh, she was gone from the show, so I went, I'm never watching this again. Yeah, much. yeah. They uh, they mashed the show, is what they call it. And then it was like, she was in a movie, and I'm like, oh, I'll go see her in a damn movie. And it was Star Hunter, and it was a 3D movie, and it was just terrible. Mm. And it was just like, okay, it's not worth going to see her in movies. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, her career took off with all these John Hughes movies. And then, you, but you you bitterly resented that because you felt like you yeah. you were there I, first. I, no, no, I just I've been burned by Star Hunter, uh, and so I was like, I'm not going to go see uh, Sixteen Candles uh-huh. or Pretty in Pink, yeah, or the other uh, Molly Ringwald movies. And I didn't go to see Fresh Horses. Isn't there just the two of them? Well, there's uh, Pretty in Pink. There's uh, there's Sixteen Candles. There's yeah. Breakfast Club. Oh, is she in the Breakfast Club. Okay, she is. She's the girl who get this eats sushi. It's crazy. <laughs> she eats sushi, and everyone looks at her like, "Oh my god!" Like she's eating a baby. Is that indication of her of her um, sophistication? Uh, she's a bit of a snob. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. things like she's having uh, sushi. Yeah. It's just craziness. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah, I guess I mean, you, of, you of bring, its time. You bring sushi for lunch. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. You better like have an ice pack or something to keep it. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's not the best lunch. Like when we went to high school, if there was a girl who brought sushi to lunch for lunch, you would know about her. Yeah, I mean, I only started eating sushi, I suppose. Well, yeah, maybe a little bit after high school, I think. That's when my friend uh, Christine took me to sushi place and told me about. Uh, oh, this is nice because you get the the, the they have this mint uh, that you have with the, to kind of cleanse the palate in between okay. uh, bites. And so it's like, yeah, it's just this uh, green uh, minty um, stuff. So just like take a big bunch of that and just put it in the cheek and gum and just get in there and just rub it around your mouth. Rub it around your mouth and it cleanses the palate in between each uh, fish bite. That, of course, was wasabi. And she was uh, mean. And my nose just went goosh. Yeah. Well, you probably you might have needed it. You might have needed the, a cleansing, a nasal cleansing. Yeah, of course she'd need an ace. So that's the best thing. She had your best interest at heart. And she always did. Yeah, always did. <laughs> Sounds like she it. She was not one for a cruel laugh. Her, and I'm going to tell tales out of school here. This is kind of what she grew up with, though. 
what she she was a she's a comedian mm-hmm. and uh, you know uh, a lot of one person shows and she's in uh, the uh, Winona Ryder version of Little Women she's in that movie as well um, and uh, I think she's the one who like uh, you know her disease uh, kills a, a much beloved character so thanks a lot for that uh, when she was <laughs> when she was a little girl she was German as you, as some so she was the cause of the death of Beth yeah oh no. She was the she was one of the sick family. Mm. That to oh see yes, that. yes, yes. The poor family they go on Christmas Day to to help right. to succor. That's right. Okay. So, um, uh, but yes, when she was a little girl in real life, uh, she was German, and so uh, there were some German uh, jokes that mom would play on her, mm. and that one of the, the 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 most fun joke she liked to to play yeah. was mom's dead. So, um, okay. so like, uh, she would come home, uh, or like wake up in the morning yeah. and mom would be on the couch or on the table, yeah. not moving, collapse with her eyes open and not breathing <laughs> and just be like, mom, 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 mom. And they would go longer each time and, until like, uh, she's the second she started to actually genuinely cry. Yeah. That's when mom would go, hoogity, boogity, boogity. And then German <laughs> And wake up, and she would scream, and they'd oh, they'd have a delightful German laugh about the whole thing, and then they'd eat some schnitzel or whatever they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A celebratory schnitzel. Right. So that is the that's the basis of her humor. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when she would play a delightful prank on, say, me, uh, that would be the tone. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It would be like if there's some pain involved, that'd be excellent. Uh, wow, wow. That's uh... German. <laughs> You know, very German. Very German. I guess very German, and all, but also kind of of its time as well. Once again, like sure, sure. Not only was the sushi of its time, but all, she was also uh, her sense of humor of that kind of nineties uh, distance, you know, ironic, detached yeah. humor that you know. Make sure she's calling you by your last name. <laughs> hey, Boothby. hey, Jedrick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, it was like the sushi restaurant was, was like I used to back then perform at a theater called the Back Alley Theater, mm-hmm. and the a uh, building uh, connected to the back alley was the sushi restaurant. Oh, so I see. If yeah. you wanted to get a quick thing to eat, it was a good way. You could go to McDonald's. You can only do that so much in yeah. your life, and then you die. So there was the uh, the other option was like <laughs> whip through this little uh, hallway sure. to get to the sure. sushi place. And get there was so, that. Yeah. Co- there was a convenient McDonald's there for for quite a while. Yes. Yeah, there's always there was always a McDonald's and all the iterations of the theater, whether it was City Stage, Back Alley Theater. Uh, it, there was a McDonald's, yes. And then later on, it went away and mm-hmm. it became a McDonald's. So the McDonald's won that fight. Oh, the McDonald's took over the back alley. Yeah, the back alley space, yeah, was, became a McDonald's. Yeah. And now it's not. Now it's all, you know, some business condos, some bullshit. <laughs> some it, fancy. It's Vancouver. It's not Yeah, it's, it's not for you. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, uh, who wants to know? <laughs> that's the motto of Vancouver. Vancouver, it's not for you! Exclamation mark. Yeah. Who's shouldn't it for? You in, mm. Shouldn't you be in the woods? It's like, yeah, you're right. I should be, in the woods. <laughs> you should be hiding hey, somewhere else. Hey, isn't there a beach, a beach you should be walking on? Yeah, I should be walking on the beach. You got a good point. All right, bye. I'll go. <laughs> I was reading a depressing article about the fact that the the uh, housing market is up is up because investors are investing in Vancouver houses, so they're buying them sight unseen. <laughs> they're buying them over the over the price asking price. Yeah. They don't even care about them. They just they're just buying them. They don't even they don't live here. They're not coming to live here. They're just buying the the properties. So that's great. 
It's like another another nice nail in the coffin for what's been a beautiful place so far. We had a um, we had a little incident where there was some water coming through the ceiling of the house that. I oh in. no! Oh, I know, I know, and which is a trigger for me because in the last house we rented, the upstairs neighbors mm-hmm. that we had yeah. uh, would occasionally like uh, leave with their faucet on. And then water would pour in through our ceiling and occasionally it'd be sewage and it would, oh, it would be awful. So it's like the one thing that I was thinking was, even though we pay a lot for this rental, was like, but there's never water coming through the ceiling. That's great. <laughs> and then all of a sudden there's water coming through the ceiling. Shit. So, um, sorry. So where, which, which ceiling, which floor were you on? You don't have to say which room, but which floor main, were you on? Main floor. Main floor, okay. The room with the uh, computers. In. Oh, crap. So the one underneath the bathroom, basically. <laughs> the one underneath the bathroom. That's right. Yeah. So um, what it was was, um, we've got a uh, we got a, a very nice bathtub that yes. has uh, some jets in it, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, you control the jets with this control panel okay. that is like in the tub. Yeah, and you push the button on the thing, and it uh, eventually will turn the jets on, and mm-hmm. you poke it hard. Um, and it was a little loose, and it was like, oh, okay, but you don't want to like you know do too much with it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what what the situation was was. This should have been sealed into the tub. Yeah. But yeah. it wasn't oh. at all. Oh. At all. So, like, you could just just pull it straight out, and then there's, you know, a candy bar-sized hole in the tub. So what had been happening was when you're in the tub, yeah. water could go up and into that and yeah. then go nowhere. So it went into the ceiling and would be dripping down. Um, and you could actually, when we when we got the, the plumber over, yeah. uh, we were looking at it, and it's clearly one part of a two-part thing and the and the person who installed it didn't put the second part in that would have sealed it off there's a couple of little holes that are clearly where these would this is where it would attach yeah Yeah. just loosey-goosey shoved it in so we had a hole in the bathtub like just a straight out candy bar sized hole in the bathtub that led to nothing um and i'm gonna i'm gonna assume like a full-size hershey bar sized hole uh you know i'm gonna go a snickers Oh, okay. So a little smaller than I was thinking. I was thinking it was yeah, bigger. It's a snick- it's a okay, size, but a full size uh, Snickers, not obviously not a Halloween. It's not a Halloween candy situation. Not a mini size. Not mm-hmm. a fun size. But once again, not, but not a movie theater situation. No. Not a movie theater double Snickers. Yeah. No, which yeah. actually isn't really two Snickers. It's about mm, you know, it's about three. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. It's like two, uh, two quarters. Two third size Snickers. Anyway, we don't need to get into that. The important thing is when 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 the fellow was over, yeah, uh, doing his, uh, you know, oh, well, this is what it is. Like when we had, we also had um, the people who own own the house. Uh, one of them was there, yeah, and they were like they'd had a bad experience before where they had a leak and it cost forty thousand dollars worth of damage in another property they had. Yeah, so it uh, was all over the. We should measure the water. We should check the water. And 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 kind of both of our perspective on it was there's a hole here. This is what this was. And it was a one time thing. <laughs> yeah. And we could see where it leaked because of the stain. Sure, sure. It's like okay, so we got this sealed and we sealed it off and whatever. And 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 it was like, well, we should probably still you know check all the water. Well, you'd have to like tear up the ceiling to do that. And and uh, you know my feeling on it was you know it's a guy there with a giant bullet wound. In his chest, and going, well, we should take his temperature. Make sure that he doesn't, you know, yeah, isn't isn't sick with anything else. It's like, yeah, but it's a bullet wound that was what the, the giant hole was what uh, what did it. But, yeah, but this, but where I was going with this, besides this one, sorry, was, just for clarification, yeah, the guy with a bullet wound was that a fun sized hole? Um, there's a 
minute hold because you, we could fix the guy up. Yeah. Carrying yeah. it to the thing. Okay. No real damage. It was just the bullet wound. Okay. Okay. Um, but the, uh, oh boy, the guy who's the plumber liked to tell a story. So Jesus <laughs> Christ. It was like, we're all masked up, but it's like, yeah. get out of here. But, but he just kept going on about mm. all the new houses and old houses and basically everywhere in Vancouver. And it, it's like everyone, every, every one of them is just a money pit waiting to happen. Just like, mm. just every one of them is like, it's an old building. Well, then the pipes are busted. <laughs> well, it's a new building. Well, they put it in for cheap and they just covered up a thing. And it's like, well, it's a moderately old building. Well, you know the problem with them. They're the worst of all because <laughs> worst of both worlds. Like, son of a bitch. Like, <laughs> you can't win. Yeah. Like every one of his stories was, you know, and then they just covered it up. They just covered it up. And sometimes it was a beautiful thing that then later when they tore the wall down, you opened it up. It's like, oh, this beautiful thing. Or, you know, literally there's a family of squirrels that sit at the wall and they just covered it up. And uh, then the squirrels came out. I guess it's so. a, I guess it kind of it's a lonely kind of a job. So when he gets the opportunity to yak, he, he can't yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. And then later on that same day, we got the door fixed, the front door fixed. And oh. it was just like, we're not telling any stories. We're not telling any stories. <laughs> I'm not opening, like any opportunities for conversation are not being pursued. <laughs> And every window is open, and and we're standing far away, and we're double masking. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, and then later that night, because we were like so anxious about this whole thing, uh, someone mentioned yeah the money pit, and I was like, oh, I never saw that. So we watched the money. Pit. How was it? Was just, How was it? It's, it's, a, it's about a B minus movie. Tom um, Hanks, Shelley Long. Yeah, directed by Richard Benjamin. Okay. Um, and yeah, who again? I could go on about Richard Benjamin for forever. Um, who could? But Cork. Uh, that's all I will say. But but it was just so uh, anxiety ridden for me, going like, "Oh, water's coming in through the oh, the bathtub's broken. Yeah. Oh no!" It's just like too. Those parts were too real, but there was some some good shtick. <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed it. It was good seeing goofball Tom Hanks. That was that was fun. Uh, Roger Ebert, I remember when, uh, or I was, you know, uh, when when he was reviewing it, uh, he went, "Ah, you watch a Buster Keaton movie." Watch a Buster Keaton movie and say he does it better. Wow, really? Yeah, but, I don't uh, remember that Buster part of the review. Was this on sneak previews? Uh, or at the movies. Sure. Was okay, whichever, whichever iteration, yeah. Or yeah. Siskel and Ebert at the movies, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. Siskel and Ebert. I don't know. Those are all the iterations. <laughs> well, Ebert at the movies. That was the final. Yeah. And not to be too, again, I, I feel like I'm dominating the conversation, but that got me into a thing where I was like, Richard Benjamin, there's a guy no one talks about. But dear God, that guy did a lot. Dear God, that's a okay. star of Westworld. Good, goodbye, Columbus. Goodbye, Columbus. He directed uh, my favorite year. Did he direct my favorite year? Yeah, he directed I didn't realize year. that. That's a really good movie. Yeah, it's a really good movie. Yeah, uh, you know, just he just did all the you know, love at first bite. He's he's in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, he was in um, the sitcom Her and Him that was really good. Like he's in so many things. Yeah, Her and Him he, was a pretty big show at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like he's in so many movies, he's directed so many films, and you're like, yeah, no one ever talks about that guy ever. <laughs> well, you know, it, those journey, the journeyman's kind of, you know, there's not a lot to, there's not a lot to hold on to with people who are who are good at their job, you know. Yeah, it's like a Carl Reiner when it comes. Yeah, to Carl directing. Reiner, Ron like, Howard. Um, Carl Reiner's a director. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They list movies and go, oh, I love all those movies. Yeah, those are all Carl Reiner movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You think of Rob Reiner, but you don't think of Carl Reiner, and you don't think of Richard Benjamin. Yeah, well, we were talking about Frank Oz, and I 
put him in that too. Just I think just a you know a good solid director, but not not a great stylist or you know not something people can like grab onto. You can't really make a YouTube video about Frank Oz's career, and you know like there's not much to there's not there's not really a through line. You know they just kind of direct what 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 opportunities present themselves. They they'll direct it, and you know and that's an honorable that's an honorable thing. I you know I always I always admire like working actors mm-hmm. you know to someone who does you look at their their you know filmography and you know they do like character parts in a whole bunch of different movies and you're like well that's really impressive you know that's someone who is on people's the back of people's minds you know oh we need a we need a crabby person for this part oh we got to get so and so you know yeah and then or a director you know someone who's just you know they're they're not like a you know they're not a christopher nolan they're not a stanley kubrick but you know they just show up do their job, produce something that's adequate to whatever the company wants, you know, whatever the producers need. And then they get another job and they do it again, you know, and sometimes they produce something really great, like my favorite year. And then sometimes, you know, they just kind of do a lot of whatever, you know, so, you know, it just depends what they can get, but they're not really choosy because they're just worker. They're just working, you know, they just need a job. So I kind of admire that. Uh, I just, I just like that about people. Agreed. Well done. <laughs> well good done. Good job, all of you doing that. Well done, Richard Benjamin. And, and if you also directed City Heat, good for you as well. Did he direct City Heat? Yes. See, it's not a great movie. But no, but it's a movie that's, it's, you know. It's fine. You'll watch it. Yeah. You know. That's Blake a, Edwards wrote yeah. it. It's fine. My thing with Richard Benjamin and a lot of those kind of directors is I feel like their movies are almost like slightly more expensive made for TV movies. You know, like there's, they're not really, they're not stellar films, but, you know, if they have a good story to tell, like for instance, my favorite year, like there's nothing about that movie would go, wow, Richard Benjamin, what a director. And that's obviously a Richard Benjamin movie. As soon as you look at it, the opening scene of that movie, you just go, Richard Benjamin directed this movie. You're not going to say that about it, but you're going to go, that's a really good movie. Like when you see it, it's really a great story, you know, and it's told really well, you know, and he, and I assume that he had like a choice of the cast. And so, you know, he, they got really good people in for that film, you know, Mark yeah. Lynn, whatever his name is. And, Mark Lynn Miranda and uh, and then um, Peter O'Toole. Peter O'Toole, of course, yeah, he's great in it. But also, this is the guy who does this, the Joseph Bologna is that his name? Who does the uh, Sid Caesar type character in it? Like he's really good, you know. And um, uh, Joseph, I want to say Joseph Bologna. Uh, like yeah, we look at it. Uh, yeah, it's just yeah, it's Bologna or whatever you'd say. Like it's a Italian it name, obviously. Like yeah, yeah, Bologna, but it's not. I know, maybe like Bologna, and then, um, but also, it'd be, um, it'd be Joey Bologna. That's what his name would be, <laughs> right? Joey Bologna, yeah. Hey, Joey Bologna. Yeah, <laughs> sure, he would have enjoyed people saying he that. Was silly, making Joseph Bologna. He, he loved those. Hey, he loved Joey those Bologna's jokes. in this movie. Oh, I'll see a Joey Bologna movie. <laughs> but also, oh, yeah. it also had um. Oh, now her name's gone out of my head. She's in Suspiria. And, and well, now I gotta just put this up. She's in Suspiria. Uh, she's in uh, Pennies from Heaven. Jessica Harper. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like she's great in it. And William Macy. William Macy's in it. Well, Bill Macy. So I assume that's what. No, it's no, no. Bill Macy. I was gonna say it's William H. Macy is probably. Maude. Yeah, yeah. What's that? Sorry. It, it's the Bill Macy from Maude. It's God will get you. Orson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the. Uh, he's kind of the. Isn't he like the head writer? I th- you know what? That does sound right. Mm-hmm. That does sound right. Yeah. With Bill, uh, William H. Macy has to be William H. Macy because of because Bill of Bill Macy. Macy. That's right. Exactly. Right. That's right. That's why when you see like Michael Fox in something, you go, "Oh, he's the reason that there's a Michael J. Fox." Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, that's uh, and a s- guy who's old enough that he's called Adolf Green. 
<laughs> Once again, I think he's one of the writers. I think he's like the old, the old timey yes. writer on the, on the, the, and yeah, no, that's a, that's a fun film. It's a fun behind the scenes look at television of that time period. Mm-hmm. Like the idea of live, live TV and, you know, and how edge of, you know, and I guess in those days they did it twice, right? They did it once for the East Coast, once for the West Coast, which is just crazy to think of now. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, times. That's a fun film. I really like it. I was just trying to uh, think of... Yeah, I saw it in the theater, but I'm just trying to think of... It came out in 1982? Yeah. Yeah, so I was in grade 10. I mean, this that, is, was his, that was his debut uh, uh, directing, and then it like, oh. did kind of an artsy movie, which is Racing with the Moon with Sean Penn, and then, then City Heat, which is kind of a goofy, mm-hmm. you know, private eye and cops thing. Okay. And, and Money Pit, which is full-on goofums. <laughs> um, uh, remake of... Let me see what it was a remake of. Uh, the Cary Grant comedy, Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House. Okay. So that's what that was. You know, that, that movie is not a great film, except for the fact that it has Cary Grant and Myrna Loy in it. So who who is in the who is in the version of that of that film? What, a version of... Uh, His Mr. version, Blanding. the Richard Benjamin... Oh, it's, uh, it's basically just Tom Hanks and Shelley Long. Oh, that's what like, The Money Pit is. Yeah. Oh, really? So it's a it's it's considered a remake of Mr. Blanding's Builds yeah. His Dream House? Okay. Huh. Interesting. And with uh, Alexander Gudinoff, who, you know, from uh, Die Hard. Yeah, I was just going to say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And Maureen Stapleton as, uh, you know, she's a, I don't want to spoil her role, but she isn't exactly what she seems. Hmm. She isn't exactly what she seems. But she I've sells, never seen that film. She sells her. Again, I didn't either. It was, and it's weird. Do you know why? Do you know why we didn't see it? Why? Because Siskel and Eber didn't like it. No, that was not why we didn't see it. Okay, why didn't we see it? Why we didn't see it was because it, it happened in 1986. Oh. And I was busy getting fired from every job in the world <laughs> at, at an expo. <laughs> you were pulling uh, all your uh, ships over at the parking lot. I guess so I was. That was why I was busy with I was, I was busy with expo, so I didn't uh, see the movie. But anything before or after that in that time period, uh, late 80s and early 90s, okay. I saw every movie that would come out. Hmm. So, hmm. yeah. And then, yeah, I did Stepmother is an Alien. Oh, God, that was not great. Mermaids was okay. Um, yeah, Mermaids Made in America, too. that wasn't good. But, you know, we got Whoopi <laughs> Goldberg and Ted dancing together, so that's nice. Oh, is that? Okay. I didn't know. I, is it M-A-D-E or M-A-I-D? It's M-A-D-E. The idea behind it is Whoopi Goldberg has a daughter. She wants to find out who her father is. Uh, he had, there was a sperm donor. Whoopi had requested a black man. Wrong. Ted Danson, kind of a cowboy car salesman, I believe. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, and and the daughter really wants to meet him. And so now, oh boy, boy Whoopi and Ted couldn't be more different. <laughs> but opposites attract, they say. She's an intellectual. He's a car salesman. Wah, wah. Oh he's going to do blackface at a friar's roast, but that's in real life. <laughs> boy, that was... That was on the edge at the time. Like that was not a popular move. I remember reading about it in Spy Magazine and in not glowing terms. And they re- they had the whole transcript of it, of it, the bit in Spy Magazine. Well, you don't because it's the <laughs> Friars Club. This is the thing. Like the Friars Club, you would go and you would have a roast, and no one would tell you what happened at the roast, and that yeah. was part of the reason. You had it at the Friars Club. You yeah. go and say the whoa is stuff. <laughs> yeah. You do the yikes is stuff. And then someone brought a camera, and then all of a sudden it became a public thing. Oh. And it became one of these things, mm. and there you are, there you are. Blah, blah, blah. But I mean, uh, 
in, in his defense, the, the bit had been written by Whoopi Goldberg. So, like, she was in on it. It was done in an, in an ironic way. It wasn't meant as, like, you know, an actual attack on on black people. It was meant as, like, a, a bit, you know, and so... Yeah, that would be weird if he had come out uh, and wrote to his girlfriend and attacked black people. <laughs> yes, it would have been pretty awkward. Uh, I just want to take this moment to, to say, I don't like black people. Yeah, no, that would have been... Uh... Yeah, that would be a very, very strange, strange way to go. Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, he says that he had done it as a social critique. Yeah, that's a tough mm-hmm. one. You can't really say that. Here's what you got to do. It was a joke. It did not work at all. And there you are. I, I don't know. I don't know what kind of reception it got at the Friars Club. So uh, I, here's what kind it of didn't work outside of it. But uh... Uh, Danson and Goldberg issued statements emphasizing the Friars Club's tradition of raucous, over-the-top humor mm-hmm. and described those offended as newcomers who were uncomfortable with what to expect. Oh, okay. As you say, substantial excerpts of the performance were later printed in Spy. Mm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and then shortly afterwards they broke up, but that was unrelated to that, I think. I don't uh, think so. I think it was related to that. Was it? Okay. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I think it, there probably was other contributing factors, but I think that was a, this the pressure and all the outcry and stuff like that. I'm sure that would have weighed on their relationship and made it awkward. Oh, okay. Mm. That's too I'm, bad, uh, of course. Cause... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It, it is one of those things where, you know, again, the Friars Club, I think if any transcript of any roast was printed around that time or before, uh, blah, there's <laughs> been that, there would have been hell to pay. Uh, and then somehow, yeah, there was just enough new people there that uh, did not know or did not care to, uh, you know, just went, nope. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Called it out. And there you are. And there you are. Yeah. I mean, humor changes. And, and so what, what might have worked? At another time, maybe it wasn't quite, you know, I'm sure like as far as roasts in the 60s would have been different than in the 70s, etc. But yeah, it's a, don't worry about Ted Danson. He's married to Mary Steenburgen now, so he he, he landed on his feet. Yeah, this is a, his new uh, sitcom is good. It's all fine. What is it, uh, What is his new sitcom? It's uh, Mr. Mayor. Mr. Mayor. Oh, that's right. You mentioned it. You said it was good. Yeah, it's by the folks who did like 30 Rock and stuff. They've got kind of that vibe. It's got mm. a good cast. Uh, Holly Hunter is the co-star. Okay. She seems to be having fun, and good, I'm glad good. that she's making money. So, yeah. You're, glad that, she, you're glad that she's making money, did you say? Yeah. It's all, you know, listen, the last time I saw Holly Hunter, she was looking at a glass of pee <laughs> before getting blown up in a superhero movie. <laughs> right? So I'm like, But she did get good money for that. Sure she did, but... I mean, I'm you know, sure the role wasn't the greatest in the world, but once again, working actors, you know. Hey, what's that? Is that some kind of jar of pee? Boom! As that classic show starring Molly Ringwald once observed, you take the good, you take the bad, something rather, something rather, and there you have... And there you have a glass of pee. Now blow up. It's too bad that Superman is there and he doesn't do fuck all. He just watches as you blow up. You think that he has super speed and could get rid of... That glass of pee, but suddenly he can't do that and watches you blow up too bad. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. But now he's bummed out and he's sad because this movie's bad. That's great. Thanks. Nice job. Nice job. It's like you have a background in, in uh, improv. Mm, yeah. A background in seeing that movie. <laughs> well, let's, let's keep it in the background. Or, or are you waiting waiting eagerly for the Snyder Cut? 
I've heard the Snyder Cut is the deepest. <laughs> That's what I heard too. Yeah. So yes. So of course, it's it, the nice thing about the Snyder Cut is it keeps getting shorter. Well, I like. Yeah, here's the thing. Yeah, as you, uh, I know you're being sarcastic, and it's excellent. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that it keeps getting longer and longer, and then it's like, hey guys, how about if it's in black and white? Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> like you just you're just selling me on it more. Wait, longer, and you're you're removing the color. Mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> Keep going. How about every song is Hallelujah? Uh, here, yeah. Hey, listen, what did, what did you want the most from that movie? Well, clearly, I wanted more of Cyborg's backstory. Great, because that's what we're focusing on. Everyone's favorite character, Cyborg, because you know he used to be a football player. Then he had an accident, and then he was sad because <laughs> he had lost his limbs. And uh, he looks out a window at people playing football, and he can't play football. Yeah, that's what you want to see in your Justice League movie, huh? Yes, please. That's exactly what I want to see. <laughs> How long is Superman dead in it for? (laughs) Most of it? Then he comes back all confused? Is that what we... Is that what you want from your Justice League movie? Fine. It's fine. It's great. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice... Yeah, and could Steppenwolf be sharper... Could he have more points on him? Because that was my problem. Was like, I think it's too smooth. <laughs> mm, not not yeah. too CGI. They should re- uh, Here's what they should do at some point. They should have a, a DC movie mm-hmm. where they have all the villains okay. from the previous DC movies. Uh oh. And they all team up. All the yeah. villains. It's like a Legion of Doom. Just call it Suicide and, Squad. Well, a little bit, but, but let's let's go with the villain from Suicide Squad. And so it's like. <laughs> So it's like everyone's like around the table, right? And you recognize Lex Luthor. You recognize like, ah, he's bald. Lex Mm -hmm. Luthor, that's him. Yeah. And then Lex Luthor goes, greetings, the meeting of the Legion of Doom. And of course, sitting here we have, (laughs) you are Sharpie? (laughs) And of course, from Suicide Squad, the villain, well, it was kind of a smoke thing, right? Like, is that what it was? It was something like that. I thought it was the witch who was the villain. No, because she was she had to fight her brother, who was the real villain, who was like something. And of course, hey, I want to say Duke of Deception, but I know that's wrong. Wonder Woman two. <laughs> what, what was your what was your fucking name, villain? Um, yeah. Cheetah, 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 cheetah. Was she the villain though? Is she counts? No, she's villain? not. A, she's a victim. You're a victim. Fuck. Okay, get out of here, cheetah. <laughs> she's going she to leave. Just leave. And then it's like, okay, uh, Batman v Superman. Okay, uh, zombie. It was a big zombie thing. Big monster. Uh, weird oh, teeth. Had I thought, some horns. I thought the villain was Batman. Sure, maybe. Okay, Batman. We can't have that though. Batman, get out. Ooh. Okay, Batman. Leave. Uh, big monster guy. <laughs> and then of course, shit. Fuck. Who was the villain in Man of Steel? Zod. 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 <laughs> Zod, yes. I remember you because you were the villain in the previous movie. Yes. Okay. Villain in, oh, Birds of Prey. Birds, uh, Masky, Maskatron, <laughs> Mr. Mask, Mascoc, Mr. Mascocles. Fuck, Mr. I don't know. <laughs> Shit, who, fuck, why couldn't it have been a joke? Um, UK, Masky, Masky, is that it? Back masking. 
Yeah, back then. <laughs> and so on and so forth. And of course, the villain in Shazam, Baldo, um, Orby. Oh, I know his name. I know his name. So I, yeah. I can Doctor, Doctor, Doctor Shazam of Tron. <laughs> Doctor Shazama. All your favorite, all your favorite villains. Yeah. Well developed characters, all. Well. But when they do develop the characters, we don't really like that either. So I don't know. I don't know whether know the answer. Develop the characters. Like, well, I'm just thinking in. Um, I'm just thinking in in Shazam, where we see the kind of the origins of Doctor Savannah, where he's he's an abused child who gets yeah. gets screwed over royally by by whoever the Shazam mentor is, and and then uh, you know becomes a bitter embittered person, you know, aligning himself with uh, with the, the seven deadly sins and using them for his powers and. Yeah. Sending yeah. them to eat his dad. So then we're like, so we understand his his motivations, but you know, then we're just kind of like, ugh. Yeah, your motivations were you you had a really rough childhood. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I assume the Joker had a bad childhood. I don't assume the Joker had a good childhood. Yeah. But you got to give me more than this, Jack. Mm-hmm. You got to give me more uh, than that to to go with like why he's got a magic orb. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. It's absolutely fine. Are you sure? It's all fine. Are you sure it's fine? Yeah. It's I don't fine. know. You don't sound like it's fine. It sounds I like you want something better. I kind of, I kind of do. I think we all deserve <laughs> a little something better. But I'm sure the Snyder Cut will, uh, will fix all that. Well, it'll answer all our questions. Oh man, I keep hitting this table with my chair. Hallelujah. I feel guilty. guilty. <laughs> Why do they keep playing that song? Don't they realize it's what a guy wants to get on with a girl? Fucking song. Yeah. Exactly. Well, someone wants to have sex with someone in the Snyder Cut, I guess. We sang a religious version of that song in church. Really? Yes. For at Easter time, I hated it. Because of that. I don't. Really, I don't like the song that much anyway. Yeah. I think it's kind of boring. Okay. And then having to sing it for you know rehearsals and then have to sing it in church is like, ugh, come on, it's too much. It's uh. But apparently, he uh, gave his permission for them to for this lady to rewrite rewrite it with religious lyrics. Like she wrote and said, you know, do you mind if I? set your music to different lyrics and she I guess she provided the lyrics and he's like, Yeah, that's fine. I'm just hanging out in a Buddhist monastery where all my money gets stolen. Don't worry about me. I uh, I, I I wrote a parody of it that was I Sniff Blue, yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't ask for permission. But I do what I do like about this How song, dare you it's it's right in my range. It's like Okay. Da, 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 this is easy to well, sing right yeah, now yeah. because it doesn't go too high. Well he's not a, he's not exactly like the, the greatest singer in the world, so no, that's the nice thing. You want to get a song. He has to rate like either, his two-note range. Yeah, either like when I'm doing a parody song, doing a song that's nearly impossible to sing, or one that's really simple to sing so that you can uh, just play around in that little tiny, yeah. tiny, tiny thing and actually get some stuff. Or you just go like, well, this is a song that no, uh, that I should no way sing. Okay, <laughs> let's try and figure out a way of singing it. <laughs> but you sang a, you sang a, 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 a faith-based one. Yes, it tells the story of of cru- the crucifixion. Okay, and you're just like, oh, if only these old people knew what the song is actually saying in the original version. But okay, yeah. let's sing this religious version of it. Whoa, boy! And now uh, the birth of Christ uh, done to afternoon delight. <laughs> That'd be great. There's a star in sight. <laughs> Shining star at night. <laughs> There's a star at night. <laughs> yep, that'd be good. I'd like to, like to wish we could do that one. Yep. Well, you suggest it. When, when you're all back in church. <laughs> We're all back, I'll suggest that right away. And that, and 
and when they go no because and then you go no because we did hallelujah <laughs> yeah we did hallelujah what what's your problem about doing that fuck song rather than this fuck song and they go like no that song's about superheroes finding themselves <laughs> yeah masturbating yeah but what <gasps> well okay <laughs> I don't want to think about angry Batman masturbating. (laughs) And then, you know, Alfred has to clean it up and pretends it's guano, but it's not guano. Alfred knows it's not guano. Alfred's got the worst job in the world. Is there actually bat stuff to clean, bat messes to clean up in the. He lives in a cave full of bats. Of course there's bats. Is it really full of bats, though? That is really really unsafe. Do you think he got got rid of the bats? When people go into like actual bat caves, they have to wear like full on hazmat equipment because it's so yeah. it's so dangerous. Yeah, he's not. He, well, I mean, it is a big cave, so like the bats are very high. Disease up. disease travels its own <laughs> its own thing. It doesn't I'm doesn't sure need he, it doesn't got, respect distances. He is a billionaire. He's got good medical coverage. <laughs> you know, I'm sure he's got a shot or two for it, and I'm sure Alfred sure. got a shot or two. But he's got to clean up a lot of bat guano. There's no two ways about it. Yeah. And the house. And he's got to dust the house. Why, does the house have bats in it as well? No. In the, the belfry. It's a huge house that gathers dust. Mm. Oh, okay. <laughs> it gathers dust. Right? It must. Well, I, so I, I, I don't know. Batman probably doesn't use it very much. You're right. As far as I could, right. I could tell, he locks himself up in one wing of it. Yeah. and then Limps uh, around on a cane. Do you want breakfast? And he goes, no, breakfast, Alfred. It's like clearly Alfred made it full breakfast. And it's just like, go to hell. Unless Alfred was really just making a really good breakfast for himself because he knows there's no way Bruce is going to eat this. And so he's making what he likes. And then it's like, well, okay, I'll take it away. No, 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 no. no. He's happy because he gets a nice big breakfast for himself. Maybe. But I always feel bad for Alfred. He doesn't need this shit guy. <laughs> he, he signed on to be the butler of yeah. a doctor and his wife. In a fancy mansion. Yeah. Now all of a sudden he's stitching wounds and he's cleaning up bat shit. And, oh, and sometimes the Joker will cut off his hand. Ugh, gross. That's no good. So, so uh, Batman's father was a like Bruce Wayne's father was a doctor. Yeah. So well, what about but, but what about Wayne Wayne Enterprises? What's that? Well, he made some investments. Oh, he did. Yeah, he made some investments. I mean, the family right. has been wealthy for quite a while, but uh, but Bruce Wayne's uh, father was a doctor primarily. He was I a see. Doctor. Okay, yeah. Doctor Thomas Wayne. Okay, hmm. there you go. Things I things I didn't know. Yeah, it's, it's all right. There's no real reason to know that. It is no. suspicious that like a doctor would have billions of dollars. Yeah, I just find that odd. Like, what? What? You're not wrong to feel <laughs> that's weird. Okay. You're correct. All right. Good. Yeah, that's absolutely. Thank you absolutely for validating correct. me. Yeah, oh, I'm, 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 you know, there you go. I've, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not wrong. Yeah, Doctor Thomas Wayne. Let's see. There you go. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Thomas Wayne. Yeah, he's just doctor. But he, he went to the Wayne Foundation, which is mostly charitable. Not that charitable. He makes billions of dollars. I'm not really sure what it makes money doing, frankly. Well, it seems like in the. The Batman movie, the Christopher Nolan ones, it seems like it's like a munitions company or something. Oh. Judging by this, the things they're making, like the the Batmobile and stuff like that, those feel like like military vehicles, right? Yeah, that is true. So, huh. he's, so he's kind of like, he's kind of like Bruce, uh, not Bruce Wayne, he's kind of like um, the Iron Man, Tony Stark. Uh, he's the, yeah. He's the recipient of millions of dollars for, from other from other people's suffering. Also, I'm a, I'm a crime fighter. 
what's appealing in the Tony Tony Stark version is that he he gives up on that part of the company mm-hmm. and makes and makes his his friend Matt angry. Right, which is it's kind of odd because his dad is one of the founding members of Shield. Yeah, and you think like d- dad goes through a similar journey of you know wanting to you know make things better and being uh, you know very sacrificial in his. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's still he's still very decadent. Yeah, but uh, you know. He, he tries to do things for the greater good and probably puts a lot of money into S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. and that kind of thing. But I, I guess his perspective is, you're going to need weapons because we need weapons. He came out of World War II. You need weapons to fight the bad guys. Yeah. And then, yeah. Well, it could be that. Or when he or when he died, the company kind of took on a life of its own and became something different than what he what he envisioned it to be. Yeah. You know, kind of like, like the Disney company now. I mean, I'm sure, well, Disney... You know, he might or might not approve of the kind of very safe kind of corporate thing that it is now. Whereas when he when he had it, it was very much a you know take chances, put you know uh, take big risks, kind of swing 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 big, you know, and hope hope for the home run. And if not, you know, we'll get we'll we'll limp along for a while and we're you know. And you meanwhile, should... also crush the unions as much as you can. <laughs> well, you know, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Best opinions towards Jewish people. That, sure, sure, uh, sure. Well, you know, he's got some some problems. Yeah. So there's pluses and minuses. <laughs> yes, there's pluses and minuses for everyone, I guess. But, yeah, uh, those are pretty big, uh, big minuses. Racers in the shape of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. <laughs> Who? Not the luckiest rabbit there was, really. <laughs> no, frankly. since he he got superseded by a much more popular mouse, but yeah, and then and which of course then you go. But because who's going to make money off a rabbit? Huh? <laughs> right, Warner Brothers? What? What? Oh, shit. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, their their rabbit was a reaction to the Disney, the Disney, uh, you know, very wholesome characters. Their, theirs was a, a, a thumbing the nose at that kind of, such, you know, the characters of Mickey Mouse and stuff like that. So. Right. Was, was Oswald uh, like a very pure character? I feel like he was an asshole, too. I've never day. seen... I don't think I've ever seen an, an Oswald the Rabbit. Uh, I think he was a bit of an asshole, uh, Oswald. Okay. Fact, okay. I mean, even, frankly, Mickey Mouse, Steamboat Willie, he's it, not the nicest guy. You okay. Know, he's, you know, he's a bit of a jerk. Uh, you know, people like that. But, I mean, the story is kind of a... It's kind of a... Uh, it's kind of a little guy makes good, though, the, the Steamboat Willie story, right? So, it's got that okay. kind of... Has that Horatio Alger element to it that what is very appealing to Americans? The idea of the the solitary individual who overcomes great odds to be a success. I don't think you see that very much in the Bugs Bunny ones, where it's just like a chaotic, zany mess. Yeah, I'm also trying to think like what made Oswald so lucky. That was the thing. <laughs> His foot. He had, yeah, did he have two rabbit feet? So <laughs> he had two rabbit feet. It's naturally lucky. Yeah, that could be. And then uh, apparently Oswald got redesigned later on by Walter Lanz. That's interesting. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Woody Woodpecker's uh, creator. Oh, weird. And then they really changed the design of Oswald, and then he got some children. Oh, huh. that's very strange. Okay. Oh, there's a lot of stuff going on with Oswald, the lucky rabbit. And then, and then uh, there was a very good uh, video game, and then not a good video game, called <laughs> Epic Mickey. And it, it was uh, about a very bitter uh, Oswald that, uh, you know, had watched Mickey's rise to fame sure, sure. and was uh, planning revenge mm. and there was some magic involved and, and stuff and it's a pretty it's an okay uh, game and then the second one is like yeah it's not great but the first one was uh, yeah, it's pretty great pretty great well I, I want you to take what I'm going to say with a grain of salt but I do believe that Oswald's creation 
it's kind of mixed up with with Disney's uh, another guy who worked with Disney named Ub Iwerks, I W E R K S, and I think it's got a very odd name. Yeah, yeah, and I think that they I think they kind of co-created Oswald. There was some suggestion of them it being a co-creation, and some and some kind of um, you know uh, tit for tat anger about it all. And I think that might be why Oswald the Lucky Rabbit kind of faded, and why Mickey Mouse became you know, more important because I think Disney just wanted to wash his hands of, of Oswald and all the controversy surrounding the whole, like who, who created him and who, you know, who, you know, all that stuff. So he just kind of went, well, forget it. I don't want to, you know, if I have to pay up to use this character, I don't want to do anything with it. I'll just create my own character. That's just mine. And it's so mine. I'm going to do the voice for it, you know? Mm. And so I'm just speculating, but I think that's, or not speculating, but I think I'm like, I'm sort of remembering reading about this from a long time ago and I don't I don't know if I'm misremembering or if I am I've just created a new history so uh, yeah throw out all the history books about what Disney and Ubiwork's relationship was just, I have recreated it in my own image and this is what I want here this is actually a good trivia question but okay. now you know the answer so it's not a good trivia <laughs> okay question. okay if you were to ask what animated character and now you know the answer so uh-huh. you know uh, what animated character has been voiced by Mickey Rooney, okay. Walter Lanz, okay. June Foray, huh. Mel Blanc, and Frank Welker. Who? Yeah, you'd be like, what the hell? And that's who this is. Uh, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit has been voiced by all those people. Frank Welker, who didn't he do? Um, oh, Frank Welker, he was the Frank Scooby-Doo. Frank Welker, Scooby-Doo, yeah, and yeah. also, as you were just saying, after Ted Knight, later at the Hall of Justice. <laughs> yeah. also, that's very good. It's better than mine. And some other characters in Futurama, it, basically everything, and any animal that you heard in 1970s cartoons mm-hmm, was done mm-hmm. by Frank Walker. Sure. sure, and he's also Fred. He's also Fred. Yeah, he's uh, he's so yeah. many uh, characters. Yeah, uh, and he's uh, he's a Megatron as really? well. Soundwave, uh, Galvatron. Uh, yeah, so uh, Jabberjaw. Sadly, he's also Jabberjaw. That's too bad. A talented and, voice performer. Yeah, who's also Jabberjaw. But what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, it's work. It's work. He's a working actor. I never, I never hold that against an actor. Never hold him against an actor. That you know what? Jabberjaw. They don't create. They just perform. You know exactly. And so, I mean, they do sometimes create as well. But I'm just saying, you know, in most cases, they are doing what they're requested to do by a director, by a producer, by you know someone who the visionary of the of the project have brought them in to bring this character whether it's jabber jaws or blank character they you know they they you know they're the ones who are paying the bucks for this and so they get what they want and you know the frank walker does as good a job as he can and sometimes it's a jabber jaws and sometimes it's a scooby-doo or a fred say he plays fred on scooby-doo can you name fred's last name latrimo uh, Fred Latrimone is a DJ on Seafun. Oh, or a former DJ on Seafun in Vancouver, very very close. Uh, <laughs> uh, Fred, now Fred's full name is Fred Jones. Fred Jones. Fred, well, that's Fred Jones. Boring. What was Shaggy's real name? Oh man, I gosh darn it! It's like a fancy name. Yes, <sighs> but I can't. Um, I can't remember it. Sorry. Norville Shaggy Rogers. Nor- Norville Rogers. Yeah, and nice. uh, Daphne. Any guesses as to that? Uh, Smith? Blake. Oh, okay. And finally, Velma. Velma? Dinkley. <laughs> Poor Velma. Yep. Poor Velma. She... And they were all based on character types from what sitcom? Really? Oh, um, the, uh, Dobie Gillis. Dobie Gillis. That's right. The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis. Correct. 
because of Maynard J. Krebs from that show. Obviously, the Shaggy prototype, played by right. played by John Denver. That yep. Later Gilligan. What? No, 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 not John Denver at all. Bob Denver. John sorry, Denver, sorry, no, sorry no, Bob no, Denver. No, no, no. Bob Denver. I meant. That's right. <laughs> sorry, sorry. R.I.P. No, to John and yeah. Bob Denver. I apologize. Right. You two brothers. You know, both of you went went on very successful career paths. One as a singer. One as a one as an actor. One got lost on an island. <laughs> one got lost on an island. One got one ended up in a high mountain, and yeah. and you know, but you well, know, yet he started uh, the other one, but in a different uh, in a different TV show. He started a different TV show. Did you say? Yeah, um, uh, Bob Denver was in Dusty's Trails, uh, where he was lost, kind of in the hills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that was before Gilligan's Islands, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. No, uh, uh, no, but Dusty's Trails was a ripoff of Gilligan's Island completely. Well, how come I? How come it was? I just remember it being in black and white, but it must have, it must be a false no, memory it was that not way. Not black and white. Yeah. Oh, I must be confusing with F Troop, probably. Yeah, that's okay. Huh. Don't, don't feel don't feel bad. Oh, I don't feel Dusty's bad. Trail, uh, I'm proud of it. Don't, don't, don't feel bad. I'm proud Gilligan's that I mixed confused that. I'm sorry that you feel that. It's so sad. <laughs> um, uh, Gilligan's Island ran from 1964 to 1967, and Dusty's Trail ran from 1973. To 1974. You would be correct if you were huh? saying it came out before The New Adventures of Gilligan, uh, which was the cartoon <laughs> version, or yeah. uh, whatever, Space Gilligan, whatever that was called. Yeah. yeah. Gilligan's, Island, Gilligan's Planet. Planet. Gilligan's Planet. Correct. That's right. <laughs> so sad that we know that. Or Far Out Space Nuts. Which also, it's a Croft Super Show. It was so great. No, it wasn't. Wasn't it at all? Just great because you were a kid when you watched it. Yeah, Far Out Space Nuts was not part of Croft Super Show. It wasn't. No, you were thinking of uh, the Lost Saucer. Ah, you're with right. The neighbors and uh, Ruth Buzzy mm. and uh, Dorse, I think, which was a half dog, half horse. Hi, everybody. This is two guys <laughs> in their early fifties uh, randomly remembering shit because they've been in a pandemic all year. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. We really, really appreciate your patience. We're so close to going for like old you, sodas right now. You thought you we thought. started with like Dr. Oh, we did. We started with Dr. Pepper, so we really have already. And what are we going to do? Welcome to the. This is what nostalgia does to you guys. It's not. It's not good. <laughs> I feel like I feel like Dr. Pepper is a really old-fashioned name for something, whereas Coca-Cola is like a, a futuristic name. Okay. Don't you think like Dr. Pepper would be a guy who'd be hanging out with Flash Gordon? And no, I don't think that at all. I don't think that at all. Help him out when he uh, needs no. assistance. It feels like some old-timey guy. Like, he's a doctor, obviously, but he's just an old-timey doctor, you know, like some small-town doctor mm-hmm. with a stethoscope up against some uh, young kid who's got uh, a whooping cough, one of those old-timey diseases that don't exist right. anymore. No one whoops anymore. Yeah. Whooping is gone. Sometimes people would come down with Whoopi Goldberg, what they call, and all of a sudden their faces would darken. It's a it's a very disturbing it's very disturbing. Well, nowadays that's a really risky. And illness. then they like by the end of it yeah. though they'd have an Oscar, an Emmy, a Tony. <laughs> they become a what is it? Egot? An Egot? Yeah, an Egot. Yeah, you would you would end up with an Egot, but then you'd also be canceled because you know, <laughs> of your uh, questionable material at the Friars Club. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh dear. Uh, now here's a. I'll give you a Dr. Pepper. Because uh, they sure did cancel Ted Danson. Boy, his career has just yeah, gone down and down. Well. Um, <laughs> here's a here's a little bit of Dr. Pepper trivia. All right. And, uh, because you know I like doing these kind of things. Sure. 
Um, <laughs> sorry. I was just thinking of, oh, there's a tasty sound in Dr. Pepper that came out in 19... Oh, let me do this one. All right. uh, first of all, there, uh, a version of Dr. Pepper came out in 1962. Okay. And this was a sugar-free Dr. Pepper, but this was not called sugar-free Dr. Pepper yet. Okay. They, they had another name for it. There was a bit more on the nose. <laughs> what was uh, what was this uh, soda called that you would probably go, hmm, uh, sounds great. Was it called water? No, it was called Dietetic Dr. Pepper. Dietetic? Yep, Dietetic Dr. Pepper. Well, you know, they're close. People thought it was for diabetics. Yeah, right. <laughs> they were super close, so they decided to drop the etic, and they were right on the mark. But that comes from a time when, when things were given weird names anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there was a time where people thought it'd be great to name something Prell Shampoo. Like, no right. no one would call something Prell Shampoo now. And what, there was like a... There was like a toothpaste that was advertised on radio shows from the 40s and it had I can't remember what it was called now but it's like oh, I can't remember what it was but it's, it has his name and it's just so unappealing like you're, you're like who would even put that in their mouth like blech. Okay well here's something you wouldn't want to put in your mouth either. Okay. Because uh, of the slogan. Yep. Um, a version of Dr. Pepper came out in 2011 and uh, I know at least one of our listeners is going to be really happy we're talking Dr. Pepper so much. Um <laughs> I am I am planting the seeds for so many uh, emails. For next, next. Um, it was called Dr. Pepper 10. Dr. Pepper 10. And it had a tagline saying, hey, it's not for fill in the blank. Yeah. Who was this not for? First of all, why do you think it was called Dr. Pepper 10? Secondly, who was this not for? So it's called Dr. Pepper 10 because it had uh, more caffeine in it? No, you were thinking, oh, more caffeine. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. No, they had uh, come up previously with uh, uh, Pepper Free, which was a caffeine-free Dr. Pepper also. A caffeine-free Dr. Pepper, they just called it. Um, but the, this was your, along the right lines of its health reasons. Dr. Pepper 10. Well, you know you're not. More, more caffeine would be worse. This would be better. So why was it called Dr. Pepper 10? And 10 was capitalized. Uh, because they added an extra flavor to it? It was 10 calories a serving. Oh, I see. So it's called 10 calories a serving. I was get, I just thought once they created the dietetic, Dr. Pepper, there was no no need to come up with another name because that was such a great name that obviously oh, sold a million name. bucks. But this one had the tagline. And listen, if anyone who's a listener of ours came up with this tagline, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> okay, what's the tagline? This was like nine years ago. Oh, no, it was like 10 years ago. Oh, okay. But yeah, it was like, I just want you to take one more guess. Sure. Of like, well, this doesn't seem like good judgment. Okay. Um, and it was like, the tagline was, yeah. it's not for blank. Um, so it's Dr. Pepper 10. Dr. Pepper 10. So, you know, it's a 10 calorie yeah. drink. Yeah. And it's like, it's not, it's not that it's not for like fatties. It's yeah, yeah. No, no, it's I'm not going to say that. that. I'm not going to say that. It's so, that. okay. So, here's, so here's the tagline is, it's not for enjoyment it's not for, it's not for enjoyment not for enjoyment not for enjoyment not for enjoyment that there's no pleasure in this <laughs> uh, no the tagline was uh-huh. it's not for women uh, what yeah so it's a diet it was a diet color for men it was gunmetal gray yeah color scheme industrial real sure sure a bold font yeah the tagline it's not for women well, that you know that makes sense actually because yeah. like Coke Zero is called Coke Zero because men won't buy Diet Coke. And I'm actually drinking a Coke Zero right now. 
there, you'll buy a Coke Zero, but you won't go buy a Diet Coke. They're, in, they're basically in, the same thing. In England, they call it bloke Coke. Bloke Coke. You're right, because, yeah, it's like a Diet Coke is for women, and bloke Coke, which is Coke Zero, is for guys. That's right. Okay. It's just that kind of thing. And, again, if anyone in our audience came up with it, it's not for women. <laughs> no judgment. No judgment. We just found that an interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, in 1951, what I was originally going to say, yeah. uh, Dr. Pepper sued the Coca-Cola company. Oh. Uh, why did they sue the Coca-Cola company? They thought that they did something that was unfair. This is unfair. What, what, what did the Coca-Cola company do that Dr. Pepper went unfair? Came out with Cherry Coke? They sold the Coca-Colas, the nickel Coca-Colas, oh. below cost. Oh, yeah, they were losing money on Coca-Cola. Oh, nickel Coca-Colas. Yeah. So they just figured so, they could they could outlast their competitors. Yeah, they had deep enough pockets. Yeah. That they could, uh, yeah. Uh, outlast them. That's and, and Dr. Pepper couldn't match that without mm-hmm. going out of business. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, yeah, they sued them uh, for a restraint of trade. Huh. Yeah. There you go. Cool. Okay, so I found a list because I was curious about about this old toothpaste. Okay. But but I found a list of eleven. Toothpaste that you probably forgot about, it says. Oh. Now, I don't rec- recognize the first one at all, so I'm just going to go past it. Okay, so... Uh, it was called, so it was called, it was an Avon brand toothpaste. Oh. Avon Smoker's Toothpaste. Oh, okay. And none of these toothpastes are McLean's, huh? Oh, we just wait. Okay. Number two is Gleam. Do you remember Gleam? Oh, Gleam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's gone. Yeah. Um, there was one, one called... Called Great Zeeth's Mighty White. Nope, no idea what that is. That seems like that should come out when uh, Jaws was popular. Apparently, the 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 uh, mascot for the toothpaste was voiced by Mel Blanc. Okay, but this sure. was the one that I. This and is the one by I was. Way, blank oh. means white, which you know you might <laughs> want to get your teeth all nice and black. Yeah, there you go. A nice uh, Mel Blanc uh, toothpaste. I go. That's a good name for toothpaste. <laughs> it's true. So. This is the one I was thinking of as being a kind of an unappealing name for a toothpaste, which is Ipana, or Ipana, I don't know how you say it, I-P-A-N-A. I-P, okay, that's right. So it's like an IPA, like it's kind of a beer. <laughs> that's right. right. It's an India Pale Ale toothpaste. It's a toothpaste. yeah, I got it. <laughs> but I got to tell you, there's a there's an image from like a magazine ad, a mm-hmm. sort of painted image it looks like. The girl is super, super cute. So I'm, wow. all, I'm all for this uh, toothpaste. Is she smiling? She is smiling. She has nice teeth. Oh, that's good. Then, then but she's not there. like she's not like super glamorous looking. She's just very like cute, like very appealing, like just like yeah. a nice a girl you could bring home to mum sort of thing. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you want to do. Bring her home to mum. Yeah, yeah. Because mom's mom mom likes girls. So what it? You trying to set her up with your mom? <laughs> that's kind of that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to impress mom. her that you know finally Dave's not bringing home this this garbage. Here's a beautiful girl. No. I'm trying to, within, uh, trying to set her up. Trying to set, set up my mom. Set up with your mom. Yeah, yeah. Mom. For sure. I'm like, now mom. you're two moms. It's good. <laughs> uh, and this... one of them's very pretty, and you can think about her without feeling weird. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, hey, I got a pretty attractive mom, huh? You're like, what are you saying that? It's like, hey, I'm not in any way related to her. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm very attracted to my mom. Just trying to say. Well, that sounds terrible. No, 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 no. You don't get it. I I introduced my mom to my other mom. So it's okay. So, mm. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah. Ipana. And I murdered my father. What do you mean I got an Oedipus complex? 
<laughs> All right. The next one was called Colinos. K-O-L-Y-N-O-S. So it cleans your teeth and your colon. <laughs> it cleans everything. Apparently, this was a very popular toothpaste. It was mentioned oh, in Catcher in the Rye. Oh, okay. Okay. So, like, he brushed his teeth with Colinos? Uh, it says there was an empty box of Colinos toothpaste outside Leahy and Hoffman's door. Okay. That is weird product placement. <laughs> it's very strange. They paid a lot of money for that. Yeah, it's like, hey, listen, we've got a new book coming out. It's called Catcher in the Rye. Will it be popular? Yes. Yes, it probably will. All right, so people will think of toothpaste when they see it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the first thing they'll think of is toothpaste. Great. Sounds good. So here's one for you, number six. McLean's. Yeah. Which apparently more popular in the UK and in Australia. But that still exists here. It's not for. It's not forgotten. It's still still around. Huh? Well, yeah, I forgot like, about it. Well, if you go to the dollar store, it's a good. It's a good one. Oh, uh, okay. And yeah. it's made out of old McLean's magazines. How about this one? That's what I always say. Nasident. Nasident. Oh, is that what the, the astronauts use? That's right. Space toothpaste for their dentures. This is a foamless, ingestible toothpaste. You'll wonder where the gravity went when you brush your teeth with Nasident. <laughs> the only toothpaste that keeps your teeth in when you're in space. All the teeth will float around, choke you, and you'll die. But Nasident keeps them nice and tight. Yeah. Here's one that I, I loved as a kid, but apparently you can't get it anymore. It's Pearl Drops Tooth Polish. You can't? I don't know if you can't. But okay, I, I don't know. I'm a just a lot of bold claims, my friend. <laughs> I would be very surprised that pearl drops. I see the pearl drops right next to a close-up toothpaste. That's what I would see. Close-up toothpaste? Does that even exist anymore? Yeah, close-up toothpaste exists. It's the uh, it's a cinnamon. Yes, I'm just looking. I just looked it up on Amazon. Yeah, okay, pearl drops right there. Huh. Uh, you can get pearl drops in many forms. You can get your uh, lasting flawless white. You can get your whitening daily. You can get your triple power whitening. Hmm. You can get your pro white. There's too many fucking flavors of this. <laughs> uh, yeah, just a straight tooth. These must be ones you're bringing up from the states, though. Or you can get your uh, smokers, uh, smokers uh, to pearl drops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's lots of pearl drops around. No problem. One of them is Amazon's choice uh, today. You can get a <laughs> bit of a discount. Only seven in stock. More are on the way. You let me know if you want me to get you some of them. <laughs> sure, I'm sure. Sure, sure. Okay. They must be bringing them up from the states, though, because it feels like there's way more than we need here in Canada. Okay. Now, now I'm now I'm looking up if McLean's toothpaste is available uh, on this. Yep, there it is, freshman. <laughs> All right, continue. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I, you know, I'm just going by what I see in my grocery stores. So. Uh, McLean's is so cheap. If you ask, like, you know, how much does it cost? They'll go, "We'll pay you." <laughs> it's two bucks. It's wrapped around the box. Just take it out of the store. We we were a Crest family. Oh, fancy! Very rarely did we ever have Colgate in my in my house when I grew up. We were Colgate. I think we were Colgate because it was advertised on Captain Kangaroo, and you'd hmm. walk over a gigantic box of uh, of uh, Colgate, and you talk about MFP fluoride. I was like, well, that's clearly the best fluoride, mono, <laughs> monofluorophosphate. Uh, that's that's good stuff. So yeah, but you had your crest, which, as I remember as a kid, went like, well, there's a moon on it. It's owned by the Moonies. Enjoy your cult toothpaste. Thanks for supporting your health. <laughs> yes, the Procter and Gamble uh, image. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Mo- I remember Moonies. when I was selling uh, when I was selling encyclopedias in Alberta. I remember I don't know where I was. Like some, I, don't know, I was like, it feels like I was in like a community center or something. I used to just wander around the towns and go into any door that was open. And uh, a little less <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and I just remember seeing this like type typewritten thing, like thumbtacked to a, to a 
a bulletin board in this building, and it that's basically what it was saying. It had like an image of the Procter and Gamble thing, and it was saying how it was it was a satanic image, and the company was owned by Satanists. Mm. I was like, wow. Of course, at that age, I was like, really? I didn't know that. I didn't know that people lied in those days. So I, wow. I was a little naive. Well, I'm not going to buy Satanist toothpaste. Uh, apparently, before there was Aquafresh, there was a toothpaste called Stripe. Had red now, stripes in it. Wait, what came out first? Was it uh, Aqua? Or was it Aim or, uh, or, or, or or what? What's this one called? Stripe. Stripe toothpaste. Okay, yeah. Let's take a look at this. All right. Uh, stripe. Stripe. Uh, stripe toothpaste history. I'm now checking this out. Uh, stripe toothpaste was invented by oh in 1955. Well, right out loud. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, Stripe toothpaste has been around since the 60s. So yeah, that was the first one. Okay. You got it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, just, I don't have anything. There was, uh, yeah. I did like on their, their little ad here, it says, Never before a toothpaste paste that keeps your whole mouth and breath hygienically clean. Oh, how else was it supposed to clean your mouth unhygienically? Never before, Ian. This is the first time your mouth and breath were hygienically clean. I don't like this. I don't like that there was an earlier version of toothpaste that would keep it hygienically. <laughs> I'm sorry to break, sorry to burst your bubble, but here's this a really frightening. Here's really a little reality for you, sir. No, this frightening. Little truth bomb, right now. How was it? How how the hell was it? Was it overpower with filth and just build up your tolerance to the point where like you could now develop an immunity and could fight it off? So it went the unhygienic route and like just like mm, too much. Just so you know. <clears throat> Striped toothpaste contains an active concentration of hexychlorophene, freshly oh. added as you squeeze the tube. It's in the stripes. Okay. Uh, there was also a toothpaste. I'm sure it's still around, but this thing is not. They're gone. It's this thing you forgot about them. Okay. Uh, Ultra bright. Ultra bright. Okay. Yeah, that's right. That's a Colgate toothpaste. Which gives your mouth sex appeal. Oh yeah, yeah. Give you a mouth that you want to have sex with. That's right. I remember that was the that was the that was the slogan. Brush your teeth with Ultra Bite. People who have sex with your mouth. Yeah, that was the that was their old slogan. It was where they would run that on Saturday mornings. It was aimed at Here. teens. It was aimed at teens. That's why. So the idea. It's kind of like those commercials now. Where is it gum that you know that people are going to lock lips and then they have to have the gum first. Yeah. In those yeah, days, this toothpaste was that form of the, the that was the stand-in for the gum. And you know, before you kissed a girl. You wanted to have some ultrabrite. Yeah, dentine toothpaste. There's, I think their song was dentine toothpaste, second best gar- uh, second base guarantee. <laughs> That's pretty good. I would have bought it. Yeah, it's like you know, under the shirt, over the bra, dentine toothpaste. <laughs> Just hand stuff. Trident was a very similar slogan. <laughs> 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 yep, all very good. That's how you sell stuff. And then the final one, final toothpaste, number eleven. Uh-huh. It's vote, vote toothpaste. Vote toothpaste. V O T E. Yeah, well, I don't know if it. Uh, okay. Let me just look at this image here. Oh, I can't make it bigger. The. What about? Uh, okay, go ahead. Oh, I'm just trying to read the packaging, and I but I, I can't see it because my this is sort of bent. It's sort of uh, and the, it won't let me enlarge it. Well, come on. Come on, phone. The something toothpaste. I wish I could see what it said. I hope it's the people's toothpaste. Anyway, it's vote toothpaste. Yeah. Sounds like a communist toothpaste. Like <laughs> well, a communist, what, voting? Everyone everyone has to have the same uh, amount of toothpaste. They distribute it equally. Everyone has to share the same brush. Yeah. McLean's toothpaste felt like the kind of toothpaste that you you got because the store had been like had a run on toothpaste. 
they also had Rembrandt toothpaste, which made your teeth uh, feel like they were in uh, 1669. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Give your teeth that oil painting feel. Yeah. Have you eaten uh, Belshazzar's Feast? Well, you're going to need Rembrandt's toothpaste <laughs> to get that taste out of your mouth. <laughs> That's right. Your teeth will be on the night watch with this toothpaste. That's right. After you get an anatomy lesson, Dr. <laughs> Nicholas Tull. Okay, you're looking up actual Rembrandt paintings now. Of course I'm doing research, Jack. <laughs> what am I going to do? I came, I, mine came out of my top of my head. Oh, did it now? Well, that's lovely. Are you not looking at a list of something right now? No, I'm Why not. Why don't you memorize your list? Well, no, I mean my list of toothpaste. It's not really helping me with Rembrandt paintings. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> but that's great. I love that you <laughs> I love that you remembered the anatomy lesson of Dr. Nicholas Tulp. That's great. It's a good painting, too. Good painting. Very good. Um, how old is McLean's toothpaste? Would you think? When did that first come out? Um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess I'm gonna guess post war. Which war are we talking? Post World War II. So I'm gonna say it's like a 1950s toothpaste. Well, sir, it's 1930s. What the fuck? Yeah. Was that a good Was that a good reaction to that information? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. I like it. Um, 1978 came out with Promise toothpaste. <laughs> Promise. Uh, with the uh, yeah. and its tagline was yeah the unique toothpaste with time tested clove oil. Uh, oh, okay. I thought his tagline was uh, a mouth like a rose garden. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I like it. Lovely. Uh, there was a salsa <laughs> don't, and that was uh, with the power of Castile soap. A salsa don't. And it's saws s o z o d o n d d o n t. Saza don't. Saza do? No. Saza don't. <laughs> Saza don't. It, it, it gives your mouth the flavor of soap. Yeah. <laughs> flavor of soap. <laughs> yep. That's for, that's for kids who swear. Go brush your teeth with a Saza don't. Oh, and don't yeah, do that again. My teeth are so white, though. I can't believe <laughs> how white my teeth are. Fuck fantastic. you. Go, go brush your teeth. Oh, all right. Well. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Mouth like a sailor with the nicest teeth in town. Wow. Sorry. Yep. This is just interesting. I was just reading. Is um, it toothpaste? <laughs> no, it is a toothpaste related thing that's interesting. All right. Let's hear it. Um, uh, they're talking about uh, a Crest Pro Health mouthwash. Okay. And they're talking about uh, side effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, the negative side of, uh, of, of the Crest uh, mouthwashes. Yeah. Uh, it causes tooth stain in 3% of users. What, it so it stains what stains it the color blue or whatever the color of the of the uh, mouthwash is or yeah, uh, bacteria dies on the teeth and that causes a staining and I'm not sure what color the staining is uh. but it uh, yeah it uh, stains their teeth so three percent of the users uh, get that wow here's the other thing that you get though yeah it reduces premature births it reduces premature births reduces them yes that's amazing. Okay, and here's why: because it uh, it, it reduces the severity of periodontal disease. Okay, which, that makes sense. Sure, sure. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, so they uh, advise you know uh, so, mothers, you'll uh, oh. this, and then three percent of them go, my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <dang it. laughs> uh, well, that would help with heart disease as well, then. Yeah. So uh, there we go. This is our ad for Crest Pro Health mouthwash. <laughs> <Crest> Pro- <laughs> why aren't they sponsors? 
Oh, maybe they will be now. Yeah. Now that we've I'm done all this, down, I'm all this, get some of this hard work, we should we at least get a, a sample. I think so. Hey, Crest, get on this. Get on it. Pop, pop, pop. No, that's nice. Good for you, Crest. Well done. Sorry about the staining. Uh, happy about the uh, healthy babies. Good for you. I guess we discover where we fall in this. Uh, three, I mean, three percent is pretty good. We're pro baby, and you know, and maybe your stained teeth are hilarious. Who that's knows? right. Maybe it stains a, a word in your teeth. <laughs> Colgate sucks. <laughs> when you smile. Jeez, oh, wow. you got opinions. That's weird that the bacteria died in the exact same shape. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Very strange. Let's see. I'm seeing how much Crest Pro Health <laughs> mouthwash costs. Huh? What do we got? We got. Uh, so that's. Uh, uh, oh, it's, oh, you know what? It's also it's a specialty. Oh, that's quite. That's 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 quite. Oh no, that's the white strips. Yeah, it's okay. It's reasonable. It's eight dollars. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> How much is it? It's eight dollars for for a for a bottle of mouthwash. Yeah. What is this stuff? Prevent prevent miscarriages or something? I'm not saying it's. I'm not trying to do a miscarriage thing here. Trying to be <laughs> trying to play up the the nice aspect, not go down the dark path. I'm but sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry to put a name to it. Jeez. Listen, my uh, my partner in this podcast is a dad. <laughs> yes, I try to be cool about this kind of stuff. Uh-huh. I don't I don't bring up train spotting. I don't do jokes. <laughs> you about brought up train spotting kind of last week. I know it's it's hilarious. But, but <laughs> I try not to. You, I don't you don't seem to. <laughs> I don't succeed. I yes. try to. All right. Well, fair enough. Fair the enough. Effort that makes me a good person. Fair enough. Yeah. So there we go. Anyway, that was all <laughs> toothpaste and soda pop and. And and Rembrandt jokes. Enjoy. <laughs> They're the best jokes. They are, they are the best jokes. Hey, speaking of people with teeth. Um, <laughs> yeah, and we were. How's, how's uh, Barnabas Collins doing nowadays? Dave? Oh, my gosh. You know what? I, w- I went on a tear. I watched a ton of those those episodes. My gosh. Would, would, you, would you mind updating us on that? I, I would. I will. Up- you know what I did the other night? All right, this is sneaky sneaky bites. Is this what we're doing? Is this uh, yeah, sneaky bites? Sure, sneaky bites. Okay, we here we, go. we uh, I, I I drew a I drew a very confusing diagram of all the all the people's relations to each other. <laughs> well, let's establish first of all the other day. what the hell we're talking about. So everyone, this is the uh, dark shadows. So we're talking about dark shadows, the 1960s uh, gothic horror soap opera that ran daily from 1965 to 1971. And it so imagine Twilight, but it was a soap opera. So that's right. Imagine Twilight, and yet, but it's all adults. But teens watched it because teens actually imagine liked watching. Twilight, but the guy is not attractive. <laughs> that's pretty much it. <laughs> yes, yes, there's that's no sexy werewolf. Oh my gosh, you're right. Um, I don't think there's any any. Okay, Joe Haskell is good looking. He's got nice okay. blue. He's got nice blue eyes. Very. Very nice face. Is he a werewolf? He's not a werewolf. He's just a regular, mm. regular dude. Boo. Okay. Good. I don't, werewolves have not been introduced in this world yet. I don't know if they will be, but uh, they're so far. It's merely vampires and ghosts. So, yeah. So the show involves the Collins family, who are kind of like your your stereotypical, you know, big family in a small town. You know, they're 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 the ones who own the mill. They're the ones who who run the town, and so people resent them, or or at least you know. But also, you know, admire them. You know, they're, so they're they're kind of everyone knows who the Collins are. You know, they're they're the house on the hill overlooking the town, and so the house Collinwood, which overlooks the town, has its 
pair has its has the old house, which is the original Collinwood that was abandoned and and when they remade Collinwood. And so in the show, and as I said before, I missed the first two hundred and something episodes because I didn't see the first six months of the show because that's not how it was packaged originally. So I missed all I missed all that stuff, which is fine because you know apparently that was not that popular. So I started watching it with the arrival of Barnabas, who okay. who is the who, of course, it pretends to be a, a, a distant cousin from England, but is actually a revived vampire, a 150-year-old oh. vampire who has inserted himself into the family. And his main aim is to, uh, well, two things. One is find uh, his new Josette, this woman he once loved when he was younger, okay. and to kill anyone who threatens him <laughs> in any way at all. That's pretty much his aim. Does he get hungry and have to feed? He does, but they don't really go into that too much. They, they mention attacks on women, and there are also some animal attacks in the in the first the first uh, few weeks of, of his appearance in the show. That seems to have gone by the wayside. They don't really talk about it too much. I guess he doesn't want to because I guess it's kind of um, difficult to to like make logical sense of the fact that this guy has arrived in what sounds like a small a small New England fishing town. Okay. And the fact that he's feeding on women, like how many women are there? Mm. You know, like you're going to run through the population pretty fast. So oh, there's plenty of fish in the sea is what I thought. <laughs> That's probably what he's eating. So, so yeah, so he, he has, um, so yeah, like, so he, he's, so his first sort of victim was Willie, the guy who revived him, who became his slave kind of servant okay. and who protected him. So when, when, Barnabas was sleeping during the day. It was Willie's job to to protect Barnabas from his, intruders. His yeah, he is the kind of yes, that's right, exactly right. And so, and then Barnabas. He's also the opposite of a free Willie. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes, and so then Barnabas is then joined by Doctor Julia Hoffman, who who first discovers what he is after he he attacks Maggie. But she doesn't want to reveal who he is. She wants to attempt to cure him to make her name as, as a great doctor. And so she starts a series of treatments on him to, to, to cure his vampirism, which he's not opposed to because he wants to, you know, become attractive to whoever he wants to be as new Josette, which failed with Maggie, as we learned. Maggie, you know, he attempted to, he kidnapped her, attempted to brainwash her into thinking she was Josette. But when she refused to do that, he locked her in a cell and was going to kill her. But she was freed by Barnabas's sister, who is a ghost. So he is a vampire. She is a ghost. And Sarah, his sister, has a has an awful lot to do with a, a lot of the story at this point in the show. So we have Vicky Winters, who is kind of the the or, the linchpin of the show. She is the origin of the show. She was the original first character of the show yeah. in the first few months of the show. She is the governess of the Collins family, and she has become engaged to Burke Devlin, who. Once again, as a character who kind of had a lot of prominence in the fir the original part of the series, he kind of had a man in the Iron Mask story where he was wronged by the Collins family. Okay. He was sent to jail, and then he returned, but no one recognized him because he had changed, and he attempted to destroy the Collins. But ah. but there's some sort of rapprochement now. They're they're you know on sort of icily friendly terms, but friendly enough that Vicky. And he have become an item. And he wants to buy this old house that Vicky discovered while she was walking called Seaview. And now this house is abandoned. It's a, you know, it's just been sitting desolate for, for, for years and years. And he wants to buy it because he and Vic, Victoria, or Vicky, have become engaged and are planning to get married. And so the idea is that they'll get married and buy this house and live there. The only problem is, is that there is a, a deed on the house 
upset by whoever was the original Collins who owned this house that will not allow the house to be sold for some some sense of time. And it's five years in uh, away yet where someone could actually purchase the house according to this this deed. So this their plans are kind of scuppered that way. Um, now Sam Sam Evans, who is you know we mentioned Maggie before the original the original girl who was kidnapped to become Josette. Her dad is a painter named Sam, Sam Evans. And Joe Haskell, her boyfriend, have decided, they realize they, that Sarah is a ghost. There's no other explanation of how she can be all over the place. She's see-through and stuff? She's not. She's She looks, she's solid when she's in. Like when people first meet her, they just assume that she's some little girl who's playing, playing strangely playing in a cemetery. But, you know, just like some neighborhood girl who's, who, you know, is hanging around. And then, but slowly they realize that, you know, because she appeared to Maggie twice she saved maggie twice she saved maggie from barnabas she broke maggie out of the the lunatic asylum she was locked up in she um you know alerted sam evans to where maggie would be when to find when she escaped from barnabas's clutches um so she's you know so they kind of realize that sarah is like she knows too much to just be like a normal person like a normal nine-year-old child or ten-year-old child now um barnabas however he di- he discovers that David has been talking to Sarah, and that Sarah showed him this secret room in in the in the Collins family crypt, where Barnabas's coffin uh, that he was originally locked up in is stored. So he thinks that David knows too much, and so he wants to kill David, this, the son of the uh, son of uh, uh, it's Roger Collins' son. So so he plans to kill him, and at one point he actually does go to David's room to kill him, but he's stopped by Sarah singing, and he hears her, and he knows it's Sarah. And he still wants to see her, but she never appears to him. But he hears her singing, and so he he leaves. He's kind of, you know, guilt, feels guilty or feels remorse or whatever, and leaves. He gives up on that. Okay. So then Dr. Woodard, who has been taking care of Maggie, originally brought Maggie to Julia Hoffman, he decided, he hatches a plan that they can lure out this kidnapper. Because here's the thing, they still think there's like a madman out there who kidnapped Maggie. They don't know it was Barnabas, so they just assume that there's some crazy man out there who could come back and get Maggie again. So he hatches a plan to reveal that Maggie's memory is returning and she can she can remember who kidnapped her. And of course this sends Barnabas into a, a rage, a panicky rage, and he wants to kill her. And despite Willie trying to convince him that that would be a dumb thing to do, and Julia Hoffman trying to convince him, he is going to do this. So but what he doesn't know is that it's a trick. So so the sheriff and Dr. Woodard have set a trap at Maggie's house, there's all these policemen there. And so when this killer shows up they will ca- capture him. So Barnabas goes out to, to to kill her. But before he can arrive there, Willie shows up because he wants to warn her that Barnabas is coming. And he ends up getting shot by the police and ends up in a coma. So that's a big turn. So now, of course, Barnabas is worried about David, worried about Maggie, and now worried about Willie, who's in the hands of the police. And when he wakes up, is going to give away all of Barnabas's secrets. So he wants to kill Willie as well. So yeah, anything that threatens him, he's just like, I'm going to kill him. So uh, now everyone thinks, though, that Willie was the culprit, that he was the one who kidnapped Maggie, because why else would he be showing up at her doorstep and falling into this trap? Then David has a dream. Mm-hmm. I guess it's sent to him by Sarah, and it reveals, in the dream, he's being guided by Sarah into the basement okay. of the old house, and she reveals to David that who Barnabas is, like that Barnabas sleeps in a coffin. She doesn't say he's a vampire, but he sees that he sleeps in a coffin. And so that's weird. And that he is... You know, and that that he's bad, that he's a bad person. And also in the dream, there's a woman 
we can recognize her as Julia Hoffman, but it's to, to David in the dream, it's a faceless woman that's holding uh, a shining um, medallion that she's sort of holding in his face and it's sparkling in his eyes. But he knows that she's bad as well and that he shouldn't. And so when he wakes up, he's telling everyone this dream. And of course, now they're all worried because David is literally saying that Barnabas sleeps in a coffin in his house. And so Dr. Hoffman, Julia Hoffman, tries to hypnotize him. But here's where he was warned because she holds the medallion in front of him to hypnotize him. And David freaks out and and runs away. So at this point, Willie comes out of his coma but luckily for Barnabas, he has lost his mind. So he is he can't say anything. Everything's good. But Barnabas now wants to undermine David to his family. So he does a thing where he attacks David in the form of a giant bat, which is done with the greatest special effects of all time. A bat on a string being waved up and down while someone squeezes a, a squeaky toy in the background. And so it goes, and it's this thing. And at one point you can see like the, you can see the shadow of the stick that the bat yeah. is suspended from this in is, this on the wall. Show things in the old Adam West Batman. Series. <laughs> so yeah, so this is bad, and of course, you know, kudos to the actor who's playing David, who has to like act scared of a rubber bat on a stick being waved <laughs> above his head. He does a really good job of it, but that's so then. His moment is so Roger Collins and his aunt Elizabeth come in and, and everyone in there, you know, they're all worried, and and then he's saying there's a bat was in there and stuff like that, but the window's locked. No. Oh. So how could a bat have been in there? So David must be having some problems. So this is part of Barnabas's plan to undermine, you know, what so that people will stop will stop taking him seriously. Yeah, that's right. He's got buddy. So that is the end of season three, by the way. So season four starts with David still telling everyone about the coffin, and no one's believing him, of course, because oh, believe him. I know it's so frustrating. Oh, call up Kolchak; he'll believe you. So Sarah visits David in his room, and they do a really cool effect with Sarah. So when when she visits. She visits him in his room, and it's a nighttime. And they do a thing where she's the actress is standing in the dark, and they'll bring a light up on her. So she it's like she appears. So they'll kind of like undim the light, and so she'll appear. And then she walks forward, and she talks to David, and she warns him to not go to the old house because it's dangerous there. And for some reason, she can't express why it's dangerous. She can only she just says, "I just know it's dangerous. I don't know why." Right. So it's like she only has partial knowledge. So she can hear when people are calling for her, so she, and she'll come, and sometimes she'll help them. Like so, she helps Maggie, even though Maggie doesn't know who she is. But she comes and helps Maggie, you know. So she can recognize when people are in trouble sometimes, but she doesn't know all of the facts about everything. She has like a general kind of feeling about it. So she's warning David not to go to the old house. Okay. And then the effect is so when they want her to disappear, she kind of steps back, and then they dim the light, so you can't see her in the corner, and then she's gone. It's like she's disappeared. It's really kind of a cool effect. It's very smart better than a bat on a stick is what i'm saying <laughs> now by the way that was one of meatloaf's worst <laughs> bat on a stick. i remember that one the 16 out of 29 isn't bad that song just took it too far too far yeah. i thought I, I, yeah i would do anything for love yeah i'll do that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah pretty good by the dashboard late so so now of course so Sarah warns David not to go to the old house, but David wants to convince everyone that he's right. So he tries to sneak in mm. after he steals his aunt's keys. Cause he did try this before, but the door was locked to the cellar. So he steals his aunt's keys from the house and goes to the old house, goes downstairs, is caught there by Julia and also by Barnabas. And they, you know, they uh, get mad at him. He's told 
he's a bad boy and he gets sent back to the house. And of course they talk to his, his aunt and his dad, and now he's in trouble again. And they're saying, you know, we told you not to go to the house, blah, blah, blah. So, but David convinces Dr. Burke, sorry, he convinces Burke, Burke Devlin, Vicky's fiance and Dr. Woodard that there's a coffin there. And so they, they go to find it, to see it. And of course, Barnum makes a fuss and you're thinking, oh, he doesn't want them to see the coffin, but then he lets them go downstairs because he removed the coffin. So when they go down there, there's nothing to be seen. And so they're like, oh, David, you silly boy telling us lies. And he's like, I really want you to believe me. So he wants them to believe him so much. He gives away, he breaks his promise to Sarah and he reveals the, the, the secret of the crypt, the secret room in the crypt. Oh no. So they go there together. They go to together, but someone has jammed the, the thing that you pull to open the door, I guess, suspecting that they they might find it. And so it doesn't work. So once again, no one believes David. So you're like, ah, can nothing go right for him? But, but Dr. Woodard, feeling something's up, he returns to the crypt that night. And I just want to point out now, the original Dr. Woodard is gone. He's been replaced by a different actor, which, oh, they, okay. which they did in the show. When, when an actor couldn't be on the show, they just would throw someone else into the part and you carry on. And I kind of, kind of like this guy in the role. He's... The, the original guy was more kind of a, like a, a dad character, but this new doctor, he's more kind of a, a grouch, almost like a grouchy Sergeant Bilko looking guy. And I, I really like him in the role, but he's not in for very long because uh, he returns to the crypt and he meets Sarah <laughs> and Sarah reveals the secret of the crypt to him. And so now he knows that David is telling the truth. He goes and confronts Barnabas and, uh, of course, Barnabas is all like, what, what do you mean? Blah, blah, blah. But, but now he's, he's scared. And when he leaves, Julia Hoffman arrives. And of course, Dr. Woodard is kind of sarcastic to her because he's lost all faith in her as, as a doctor and, and thinks that she's, you know, too close to Barnabas. And so he eavesdrops on them and he learns, he learns all the truth. And he learns that Julia has been keeping a notebook of her research, her treatments of, of Barnabas. So he resolves he's going to go steal it. So he goes to the mansion, he goes to the Collinwood, and he steals a notebook. And so when um, Barnabas and, and Julia Hoffman go there to destroy it, because they decide they need to kill the doctor, but before, before, they, before they can do anything, they want to destroy this notebook so that no one will ever be able to find the truth out about Barnabas. No, sorry. They, when they realize that Dr. Woodard has stolen the notebook, that's when they decide they'll, they'll kill him. Sorry. So... Um, so Dr. Woodard reads the notebook and he dis- he discovers the truth that Barnabas is a vampire. And of course, he does that classic thing that you do in, you know, Sheriff, you got to get over here right away. No, I can't tell you this over the phone. Why can't you tell it over the phone? Why? It's a phone. It's meant to as a device of communication. You know when someone in a, in a show, a radio show, TV show says, I can't tell, tell you over the phone and they hang up. You know what's going to happen to them, right? Yes. Barnabas and Ju- Julia show up at his office and they kill uh, Dr. Woodard. Julia Hoffman, not willingly, she's kind of an unwilling accomplice. It's Barnabas who who uh, deals a fatal blow. He uh, Julia has given him this, an injection of medicine that will make it appear as if Dr. Woodard had a heart attack. Okay. Now, so Dr. Woodard dies. And I have to say, you're kind of sad, but you're not super sad because... It's a different Dr. Woodard than what you've been watching for most of the show. So, you know, this character, this actor that, uh, to, and the, the Dr. Woodard was this, this is this, the, this is the third Dr. Woodard. There was, there was a different Dr. Woodard than the other Dr. Woodard who played him for, for quite a few episodes. And then this guy who was in for like three episodes and then he gets, he gets offed by Barnabas and Julia. And so, of course, everyone, everyone, but like a few, like, uh, 
a few people like Sam Evans thinks that he's been murdered. They don't okay. they don't believe in this heart attack nonsense. But uh, then Sarah visits David and warns him that a disaster is looming. But once again, she cannot be specific. But is it so then we we learn shortly afterwards that Burke Devlin, who had left to travel to South America, his plane has crashed there. And so that's found that there were no survivors. All sixteen passengers were killed, burned up in the crash. So it's now Vicky has trouble believing this, but this is everyone's like, Well, that's what they told us. Barnabas demands that so now Barnabas sees this as an opportunity to get into get it on with Victoria. He's like, Devlin's out of the picture. She's a sad, she's vulnerable. Time for me to make my move. So he wants he wants the he wants uh, Dr. Hoffman Julia to to speed up her treatments. He says, "I want everything. I want you to do it all tonight." And she's like, "I don't revise. I don't recommend this." And he's like, "Nope, we got to do this so then I can I can you know be, so that Victoria will become the new Josette." So she she uh, speeds up his treatments, and he, then he ages like a hundred years. So he turns into this old old man, and so he now he needs a victim though, um, because. He needs to get blood. He needs to right. bite someone to try and, re- re- you know, reverse these effects. Yeah, we've all been there. Okay. Now, Carolyn, we haven't heard much about Carolyn. Last time we really had a lot to do with Carolyn, she was, uh, she was, you know, spooning with uh, bikers trying to get her mum mad. But uh, <laughs> she has been David's staunch ally through most of this. Like, everyone else is doubting David, but she's always been like, no, I'm sure David's telling the truth. I believe David's seen, actually seen Sarah. And Sarah actually does visit Carolyn. At one point, so so she recognizes an ally as well, and so so you know Carolyn is firmly on David's side, and so now she wants to prove that David's telling the truth. So she goes to the to the mansion, but she makes a fatal error, which is to assume that the best time to sneak into someone's house is at night, late at night, which is you know ov- overall kind of true, but when you're dealing with vampires, not true at all. So she ends up in the clutches of Barnabas, who can't help himself; he needs a victim. And so he bites her neck and drinks her blood. Ooh. And it works. He does return to the, the slightly less old Barnabas. He's still an old guy. He's an old actor. Because th- those are the days like when people went, he's only 35. And you look at him and go, 35 or 55? Like, what are we, who are we trying to fool here? But uh, he, he returns to his, to his actual age. And uh, Carolyn now is under his thrall. She is under his control. Now, he doesn't want her to be a servant because she's a relative and he didn't want to bite her, but it, you know, he needed some, he needed a, a victim and she was at hand. So, so now she is no longer David's ally. She is Barnabas's ally. So Barnabas wants two things from Carolyn. Now he wants her to, to win Vicky over to his side. And he wants her to undermine David's, you know, David's character to everyone, make him seem like he's just a crazy little boy. Who's a liar. And so she starts to recommend that maybe David should be sent away to a to a you know to a school to a private school you know where they can look after him because he obviously is having trouble here and is is overactive imagination and his imaginary friend Sarah and she denies that she ever saw Sarah because of course she's now you know his enemy now Julia for reasons it's not clear it's in sometimes you think that she's in love with Barnabas right and so she's jealous of Victoria or. Maybe she's just trying to keep Victoria safe from Barnabas, but she she hypnotizes Vicky. Or let me just say, yeah, different writers on different days. Okay, <laughs> it could be that too. She yeah. hypnotizes. I think that's more like when you have an inconsistency. Yeah, in the storyline, yeah. just like wait a second. I was like, yeah, there's 
there's more than one writer. <laughs> it could be that. It do, different days. Okay. I imagine they had a head writer, but I'm I could be that, or I just I just wonder if they didn't quite figure out exactly what her motivation was at this yeah. point. Soap operas are notoriously uh, inconsistent because yeah yeah it's yeah. just we gotta do one a day, man. Let's go 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 go. There's times where she's like she's saying to Barnabas like I know someone who wouldn't mind serving you. I wouldn't mind someone who would wouldn't mind being bitten and changed to become your slave. But to then other time she's like, You're evil, Barnabas, and I'm going to stop you. But anyway, now so she starts to hypnotize Vicky. In a, so and she basically reveals all of Barnabas's character to her. She shows the coffin, she talks about what how evil he is, but she doesn't do it in a way that Vicky will remember when she's awake. It's just she has an unconscious revulsion for Barnabas now. And she doesn't understand why, because she likes Barnabas. You know, to her, Barnabas is great. There's a, there was a subplot on the show where Burke Devlin was, became convinced that Barnabas was not a great guy. And, and he did some research. He discovered that Barnabas was lying about who he stayed with in, in London, that the person he said he lived with in London was, died 150 years ago. And there's never been another person of that name living in London. And, you know, so he's really, but Vicky is so upset that he's been re- like snooping into, into, Barnabas's background that she pretty much says like if you keep doing that well, our engagement will be over. So she's like on Barnabas's side, you know, because you know Barnabas loves old things and she does too and she loves what he's, you know, that he's re- restoring the old house and you know and you know she doesn't understand that he's doing that so that he can have her living there as this, you know, uh, bride of of a vampire as the new Josette, but you know to her to her what he's doing is you know really great, and so so she doesn't understand now why she's feeling the way she feels about Barnabas, where a mere touch by him causes her to shiver in disgust. But that is Julia's doing. But Carolyn, who is of course the stooge of Barnabas, she discovers that Julia's doing this, and so uh, when Barnabas learns of Julia's betrayal, he immediately resolves to guess. Can you guess what he's going to do? Kill him. Yeah, she's gonna kill her. That's right. So then we begin a cat and mouse game because because they need to get the notebook from Julia. Mm. They don't want to kill her and then have that notebook floating around. Got it. So Barnabas sends Carolyn to get the notebook, but Julia's already hidden it somewhere else. And uh-huh. so then there's a great little sequence though where she she hides the the notebook in the grandfather clock in the in the kind of foyer of the house. Or First place I'd look. In a spooky, yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's it. It's a dumb, I thought of that too. I thought, oh, it's a dumb place to hide it. But it is a dumb place to hide it because it stops it from chiming. Oh, and Carolyn no. notices. And so then there's a scene where like both of them know where the notebook is. And it's just a matter of who will be able to get it out. you know. And, and it turns out that Julie is able to. And then they have this kind of weird scene where this, for the very first time, at least in my viewing of the show, this lawyer named Tony Peterson shows up. And he's all mad at Roger Collins. He's like, listen, Collins, you may run this town, but you got to be fair to my client who was injured on the job and blah, blah, blah. And he's just giving them the what for. And Roger Collins is doing the patrician. Listen here, so I have no idea what this fellow you're talking about is. I'm sure everything's fine at work and blah, blah, blah. And he's all like, no, and I'm blah, blah, blah. So then he's leaving. And Julia's like... pictures of Spider-Man. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and, then, and then Julia's leaving... And uh, well, he's he's younger than I'm saying. He's like a kind of young, uh, you know, crusading lawyer. And so then um, Julia's like, "Hey, can I get a ride from into town with you?" And of course, she's got her notebook now. She snuck it out of the clock, and and so to Carolyn's outrage, she leaves with the lawyer. And so Carolyn can't follow. So Julia escapes, escapes them, and she hands over her no- notebook to this lawyer and asks him to, s- to keep it safe for her because her life depends on its safekeeping. And so he he uh, puts it in his safe. So then. Of course, Carolyn starts making the moves on this lawyer because she wants to get this book. 
Right. So, so so she's flirting with this guy, and he's all like, "Hey, this this fancy Collins dame is interested in me. Hey, even though I'm a crusading lawyer and I'm mad at her her uncle, uh, yeah." So then, um, so uh, now while this is all happening, Barnabas starts to terrorize Julia by by I don't know if he he appears or he makes her think that like Doctor Woodard is appearing, but you never quite see it. So it could be Barnabas in disguise or whatever. But he you know, but she hears Doctor Woodard's voice. You know, saying, "Why did you do? Why did you kill me, Julia? Why did you do this?" What, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a, and so she's being terrorized by this, and uh, so she goes to the crypt looking for Sarah's help, and Sarah appears to her and talks to her, but of course, Julia is very much, you know, kind of at the best neutral evil, you know, in this whole thing. So Sarah's not really interested in helping her, or at least doesn't say she'll help her. Okay, and then. Uh, so then Julia decide, decides that she's going to confront Barnabas because she's safe because the notebook is in, is in good hands, she thinks. And so she goes to Barnabas and she taunts him that she has seen Sarah, that David has seen Sarah, that everyone has seen Sarah except for Barnabas, his supposed beloved sister who loved him so much. She has never come once to see Barnabas. And Barnabas becomes so furiously angry that he starts to kill Julia. Just, he doesn't care about the notebook now. He's just seeing red and he starts strangling her. Oh, and then there's a huge gust of wind that blows open the doors of the, of the old house and shakes the walls and Sarah enters. And for the first time, he sees his sister after all these years, after 150 years. And she comes in and, she, and she's, you know, she makes him stop. You know, obviously he stops strangling Julia. And he's talking to her and he's, you know, he's like, you know, Sarah, my beloved, you know, I love you. Why haven't you come to visit me? And she says, I would love to come and visit you, but you're evil. You're an evil man. And he says, well, I only do bad things because I have to. And she says, you know, that's not true, <laughs> which is such a great line. And just delivered by this little girl too. The actress is, you know, she's okay as an actress. There's quite a few times where she like looks off camera, like she looks offset at something or someone. She might be looking at the cards. I don't know, but like really obvious, like the camera's on me. It's time for me to glance off camera. But anyway, um, but she does a, she does a really good delivery of that line and it's really, really quite mo- moving. And then she leaves and she says that she will not see him again until he is no longer evil. So, um, it's decided now everyone, I don't think I've made it clear, but everyone wants to find Sarah. That's been like one of the main themes of what's, because everyone realizes like how central she is to this story. Like she's saved everyone. She saved David. She saved she saved Maggie. She saved Vicky. She saved Meg. You know, every, it's everybody. Everyone, who, you know, Dr. Woodard, everyone has had like, you know, except when he got killed, but you know, she can't be everywhere, I guess. But she's like tried her best to keep everyone safe as much as she can. She's given a toy soldier to David. She's given, she gives a, uh, she gives a doll to Maggie. She, you know, these are all things that, because the idea of them is that when Barnabas sees them, then he will be reminded of Sarah and be unable to, to be evil, you know? And so that's her idea of giving these totems to people. So she's been like this major force throughout the storyline so far. And so it's decided at the Col- at Collinwood that they're going to hold a séance, which they they did in an earlier episode where Vicky was uh, became a channel t- to jo- to the original Josette. Okay. And so they decide they're going to have a séance to see if they can call Sarah out. And now, of course, Barnabas is not happy about this because, as far as he's concerned, if anyone's talking to Sarah, the first thing she's going to tell them is he's a vampire. So at all costs, he must at least stop this from happening, which he can't do because everyone wants to do it. But when they do it, they they'll have to undermine the séance, right? They'll have to like somehow sabotage it. So they start holding the séance. It's the family there: Elizabeth's daughter, Roger Collins, Vicky, Carolyn, um, 
I don't know if Julia Hoffman's there for that. I can't remember. But then, uh, of course, Barnabas is there as well. And so they hold this, the seance. And of course, he, he gives a look at Carolyn at one point. And so she starts to pretend that she is Sarah. And she starts to deny David. She says, I've never never appeared to David. I've never had anything to do with David. You know, And, and, and then this outrages the actual Sarah. And so then she uses Vicky as the channel. And so she starts speaking through Vicky. Oh, okay. And so Vicky says, no, I'm the real Sarah. And I have, and of course, Carolyn loses it. She like drops all her character and she like confronts Sarah and Vicky, you know, like you're a liar or whatever. And so then everyone knows that she was faking it and they're listening to Sarah talk. But Sarah starts to speak in a weird way. She's not talking about what's happening now. She starts reliving a past event through, through Vicky. And so she's talking about something happening to her in the past and she gets overwrought. And then suddenly there's a, something happens and all the lights go out. And everyone's, you know, in a mad rush. It's dark. Barnabas goes across the room to find the light switch and he turns it on. And when he turns it on, Vicky's gone. And there's a woman sitting there dressed in, in uh, 18th century clothes. And she's all confused. And she's like, she says her name is, uh, her name is um, Phyllis Wick. And she's a governess who, had enga- who was engaged to look after a girl named Sarah, a nine-year-old girl named Sarah. And on her way there, she, her carriage overturned. And why is she here? And what's why is everyone dressed so strangely? And everyone's like, "What? What happened to Vicky?" Yeah. And then it cuts to Vicky, who finds herself standing in front of the old house, but now it's like a beautiful new house, and she realizes that she is not in the 1960s. She is now in 1795. Oops. And that's where I that's where I stopped watching. I thought, what a perfect place to stop oh, for a little bit. How did you stop watching? That's exciting. I know, it was so exciting, but I just I had to go to bed. It was like, you know, two in the morning or something. And Okay. I was finished the page, so time to go in. But yeah, no, it's uh, but what a great idea for a for a switcheroo, hey? Yeah. So in the middle of this seance, just to have like the lights turn out. And of course it's all done in one shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so so that you know they have the darkness so that the actress playing um playing Vicky can can, you know, move off set and then the other actors move on, move to take their place, and uh, yeah, it's just really, really, really well done. And whenever they do outdoor shots, it's just um, done against a blue screen. So, and it's pretty, pretty antiquated. So, of course, you can really see the the outline of you know against the the chroma key, whatever they called it in those days. But um, that was you know. So, it's, but still, it's just so it's such a smart idea, and I was just like, oh man, it's so great. Yeah, that is a really good idea. Yeah, yeah, just a way to like. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's where I am right now. So yeah, that's. Uh, and to use a different set that they've got probably already. I'm like, oh yeah, we got that set. Good. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's right. Set. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's a big part of it. And you know, and I know, you know, just from reading about the actors and stuff like that, that all the original actors will be playing characters, playing different characters in this in this uh-huh. section. So, you know, Elizabeth Stoddard will become Naomi Naomi Collins, and Roger Roger Collins will become. Josiah Collins or whoever you know. Do you think is that is that just for fun or are they uh, hinting they're all reincarnated? I don't. I don't. Like, I think it's up to this point where uh, they've got to defeat Barnabas somehow. I think it's more. I think it's more in the sense that it that the guy who is producing the show thought of thought of it like as a repertory company. Yeah. And that you know he just loved his actors and he just didn't want to like let them go, so he would just you know you know when they got written out of the show in some way they would come back again as a different character and yeah, later on. Which I think yeah. is really kind of fun. Actors also like doing different stuff. Like at some point, yeah. in any TV series, 
Uh, there's going to be a reason there's a twin that shows up. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, the actor. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they got to, yeah, they got to. I need to act. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They got to be hand bones. Mm-hmm. So, no, that sounds cool. Well, that was that was your update, y'all. I know that was pretty involved, but I like I, I've been working uh, pretty steadily on, on coloring this week. So, I was, a lot oh, of shows went, went into yeah. the bridge. So, um, so uh, I'm going to say just as a, and we haven't got to letters yet, we will. Yeah. But like I'm going to say is uh, maybe one of our questions of the week, because mm-hmm. we just went through a lot of vampire talk. <laughs> yes. Uh, who's the best vampire? Hmm. Who's the best vampire? It could be in a book. It could be a TV show. It could yeah. be a movie. Uh, you know, who is your favorite vampire? It doesn't even have to be the best vampire. Yeah. It could be like your favorite vampire, very enjoyable vampire. Sure. Uh, like I like the, uh, uh, we were talking about the Richard Benjamin movie, uh, Love It, uh, Love It First Bite. <laughs> there you go. I like George Hamilton's Dracula in Love It First Bite. I really like Reinfeld. I like, uh, I like Artie Johnson as Reinfeld. In, oh, that's uh, good casting. Yeah, I've never seen that one. I've never seen it. Oh, it's uh, you know, uh, you got to sit through one disco song. You might I was gonna say, I was gonna say, it's disco Dracula, isn't it? Yeah, there's one disco song, but it makes sense for who he is and when he is. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But Richard Benjamin also is very good at. Uh, yeah, you know what? I'm not gonna oversell it to you. But that's fine. Uh, I don't think he. I don't think he should because it's got George Hamilton know, just, in. Just put it on, and mm-hmm. it, that's a good. Uh, thing to uh, maybe uh, color to is that uh, the only is that the only time that George Hamilton wasn't suntanned I think he is suntanned <laughs> he's a suntanned Dracula <laughs> yeah I know it's, it is funny that like the sun which is his thing is, uh, and by the way good on that guy for uh, you know still being he, is he alive still I don't know I don't know, but yeah, he must look like a he must look like an old leather purse by this point. Yeah, he's avoided uh, skin diseases as far as I know. (laughs) Yeah, that seems pretty good. Let's see, is he is he alive? He is alive! Mm -hmm. Hooray! He he and Diane Cannon are examples of two actors who who got way too much sun, way too much sun in their career. But you know that was their selling point. That sun kissed look, you know, so appealing. He did he did two movies about the same time, which was. Love at First Bite mm-hmm. and Zorro the Gay Blade. That's right. Not as successful. And not as successful. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you know, both big swings, let's say. Big <laughs> swings. Sure. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Love at First Bite. There you go. I was just looking if like everything's okay with his skin. Yeah, not seeing anything bad for his skin. Good for him. Yeah, it's all fine. Uh, so, you know. Uh, sometimes I mean, I ha- I do have like I do have more favorite modern vampires, but I'm really digging Barnabas right now. I really like the fact that he's just a sure. it's like a dick. Like I when he first appeared, I kind of thought that he was going to be a kind of a you know a, a vampire, obviously, but he would a vampire with a heart of gold. He was going to act in the best interest of the family, and he would become sort of like a protector of the family. And so if anyone like messed with the family, Barnabas would be there to to you know bring down his Barnabas vengeance. Sure, but he's not. He's like totally undermining the family in every every way he can. Like you know like. You know, he still respects them as Collins, but you know, if they're in his way, he doesn't give a he doesn't give a crap. He'll fuck them over just to get his way. Like you know, and I think that's really kind of fun. Like it's I can see why the show got popular after he appeared, just because he's he adds this little element of like just chaos to it all, and it's just it's fun. It's really fun. Very good. Anyway, so, so if you if you guys want to watch the show, I, I mean, I've obviously given away a lot of the plot, but it's still fun to watch. It's on Tubi. It's on Tubi, and yeah. by the way, if you want to watch a movie on Tubi. That you might not want to watch on TV because it wasn't great, but it has some good stuff. Yeah. Um, then the movie that I would recommend is a film called The Protector. What is The Protector, you ask? The Protector is a Jackie Chan movie where he teams up with Danny Aiello. <laughs> Whoa. That yeah. must be quite a... Huh. 1985. 
and it's so 1985. <laughs> uh, you, Does it have good fight sequences in it, at least? Yes. Okay. It's got good fight sequences and some insane fight sequences. Nice. And there's a scene where Jackie is chasing, like he's in China, and he's running from like uh, boat to boat. Oh, trying wow. Trying to catch another boat. Yeah. And uh, you know, he's doing that. There's a lot of things that are set up that's just like, well, that's just set yeah. up for this. And then there's a lot of stuff off the top that you're like, well, this is where the movie's going. No. And I'm just going to spoil one thing. Okay. One thing. All right. Okay. So uh, so it starts off with um, a truck mm-hmm. is uh, driving down a street in New York at night. All right. And uh, and, uh, and you can see that the driver is like, hey, sing the song. Have a good time. <laughs> and then, uh, and yeah. then someone hits a remote, and then the traffic light turns to red. <gasps> okay. So he stops. Yeah. Well, then you cut over and see punk rock. Uh-oh. The punk rappers are working the controls. Of course they are. They're really like, like Mad Max level punk rappers. <laughs> then they swing over to uh, some little people. Mm-hmm. And the little people are what also kind of... dressed almost like it's post-apocalyptic. What kind of city is this? It's New York. Oh, and yeah, so, of course. And so they're, they're, they're doing that. You can and tell so, it's New York because of the mountains and the skyline. So the uh, this is the thing. I know. We're just like, hey, where's the Bronx? Where are the mountains? Exactly. <laughs> So, uh, so so punk rockers are working with the little people. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and again, the little people are dressed like it's Mad Max kind of situation too, or Time Bandits or some shit. So you're like, <laughs> what year is this? The answer is 1985. Um, so uh, then some of them go and they, they attach uh, ropes to the back doors. So And then they hit the button so that the light turns green. Guy drives forward. Doors fly off. And they start unloading boxes and then beat the guy up. He collapses. Uh, next, it's morning now. The, 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 the truck is stripped. Like it's like they've taken the walls off the truck. It's stripped. And then the, the guy is like passed out on the ground. And then, uh, Jackie Chan shows up with his partner and the partner's got a doll that he's going to give to his kid. Uh oh, uh oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then Jackie, Jackie mentions, Hey, it's my 10th anniversary of, uh, coming to America. Like congratulations, buddy! I'll buy you a drink after work. Okay, but I want to go. I, I'm gonna try and meet some ladies as well. Oh, you. Okay, <laughs> so we all know partners not long for this world. Uh, so they get up and they, they, they see the Texan guy. Just like I just was, I was driving and then uh, and she's like, you stopped at a red light in New York. <laughs> oh, and it's like it's his fault. <laughs> so you think like, oh, this is a movie about how the little people, yeah, and the punk rockers, yeah, have taken over New York, okay, and uh, nothing to do with any of that. <laughs> nothing to do with any of that. And listen, because I've mentioned now that the part you you get where the things are going with the partner. So let's just let me just take it to scene number two. Okay, scene number two, um, they drive up to uh, a bar. Okay. And like, let's go have a drink. Yeah, all right, let's have a drink. So they go into the bar and they order a drink. And Jackie, I'm going to go use the the, the bathroom. Okay. Well, you know, when Jackie's in the bathroom, shit's going to go down. Of course. Five people come in to rob this dive bar. That's all they're <laughs> going to do. Five people come in to rob the dive bar. Like all in matching outfits. Yeah. One is like a moose. Like it's all just crazy. The big guy who's like a moose goes over to the cop who's just like, I like your doll. And it's just like, okay, whatever. And so, you know, it becomes a crazy shootout for no yeah. damn reason. Yeah. Everyone's getting slaughtered. 
the partner gets like 27 bullets in the chest. Uh, Jackie, <laughs> uh, yeah, Jackie comes out and uh, kills four of them. Somehow, you know, the four of them die. Yeah. And then, but one's loose. So there's a running, 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 running. And uh, Jackie, uh, and he gets a boat as well. There's another boat chase. Okay. So, you know, he goes, anyway. And so the results of the boat chase uh, have uh, Jackie being chewed out by the, um, by, by his boss. Yeah. And they're like, oh, this is what it's going to be. Whoever sent these guys to kill the cop. No, nothing to do with it. <laughs> it nothing to do with any of the rest of the movie at all. Isn't it an anthology movie? It's just no, no. It's just, we're just it's linear. So you're like, okay, well, here we go. Like this, so it was going to avenge his partner, right? No. What? His partner just got killed for no reason? Yeah. <laughs> what happens now? Okay, well, now you know his boss uh, sends him sends him and uh, Danny Aiello um, to uh, guard this woman at an art show, and then some shit goes down there, and that's where the movie goes. And anyway, they end up in Hong Kong. And, oh, good. Uh, and, and there's some real there's some scenes where they go to a massage parlor and you're just like, what? And so it was basically like if you asked a 13 year old, what do you think goes on at a massage parlor? <laughs> it's like just and you know what? Don't tell me. Draw it. And yeah, you can as much nudity as you want. Just draw it. Draw what you think happens at a massage parlor. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then, uh-huh. Okay. And they do this, that. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, it, uh, yeah. So anyway, the, and the poster is Jackie shooting this enormous machine gun that he in no way get has in the movie at all. And uh, yeah, it's it's worth seeing though. It's uh, on uh, uh, Tubi, and it's uh, bananas. But uh, warn you, the massage parlor scene. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> what is this? Nineteen eighty-five. Yeah, apparently there's a Japanese extended version that's better. And oh, okay. uh, afterwards, Jackie Chan dire- directed Police Story because of how this was directed. Mm, mm. Yeah, Police Story is so great. Yeah, it's, this it's a, was it's a family this, favorite. Yeah, this was his second shot at trying to get into the American market after the big brawl. Okay, in uh, nineteen eighty, mm. uh, and so uh, you know, but that one was didn't do that well. Yeah, so anyway, there's two versions. There's the the American version, and this is that's the version on TV. All right, so anyway, there's there's that. Um, but, uh, yeah, the question is best vampire. Best vampire. Yeah. yeah. Or okay. best movie that involves punk rockers uh, teaming up with the <laughs> And then forget it. So many movies with that is happening in it. It's hard to even think of. Yeah. So uh, the question of the week last week was, what's your favorite board or card game uh, growing up? And also, uh, uh, what movie would you like to fix and how, if you'd like to do that? So. We got 11 uh, responses uh, and people responding to each other on our uh, main web page, which is sneakydragon.com. If you want to like post uh, a response to our question of the week, that's the best way to do it is go sneakydragon.com, boom, or some other methods we'll tell you later on. Uh, there's our message for there. Um, so Louise, our friend Louise, <laughs> um, writes, Clue was my favorite board game and Cribbage was my favorite card game. Our family played Hearts as well, uh, and uh, then goes on to say, sometimes good acting can save a weak script. So uh, even though this is well-trodden ground, I'd semi-fix the Star Wars prequel trilogy by recasting the boy Anakin role with Haley Joel Osment. Uh, he would have been about nine when Phantom Menace was shot. As a child actor, he was strong in films, dark films like The Sixth Sense and AI. He might have brought some weight uh, to the role of uh, that pod race slave boy. 
I don't know that Heath Ledger ever tested for the role, but I'm casting him as a young adult Anakin anyway. Oh, I like that. Uh, I liked him ever since I first saw him. Sounds like you're playing uh, wine glasses and hitting him with a spoon. Um, since I first saw him in 10 Things I Hate About You, a teen, so, a teen update of Taming of the Shrew, which I now realize that's supposed to sound like that. 10 Things I Hate About You, Taming of the Shrew. Got it? All right. Oh, that's interesting. That's, yep. a good, that, that's a fun film. Uh, he did a good job uh, playing a tough and idealistic young soldier in The Patriot, which came out the same year Attack of the Clones was filming. Uh, one of two movies called The Patriot, I think, that year. Uh, I think hmm. he would have been convincing as a Jedi with a dark side and had better hair. <laughs> After rewatching Groundhog Day this weekend, I'm also considering fixing the scene where Phil gives a long hug to Ned Ryerson and asks if he can call in sick. Ah, yeah, because he's gay. To fend <laughs> off his life insurance pitch. Uh, maybe back when it was considered a step forward just to acknowledge that people were gay. Uh, but surely comedy has evolved beyond making homophobic jokes by now. Wait, John Krasinski kissed Pete Davidson for a laugh on Saturday Night Live this week? Uh, never mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Laurel Robertson. Uh, how the hell did he kiss Pete Davidson during COVID times? That's the big thing. Oh, that's the shock to me. No, we can't. We can't kiss people. <laughs> Um, Laurel Robertson writes, Hello, Ian and David, and sneaker peeps. Well, oh, it's sneaker peeps. Um, <laughs> hey, I Laurel. A box of sneaker peeps right now. That'd be tasty. Um, I hope everyone is doing well. And yes, hello, Laurel. Uh, board games have always been a big part of my family's life. I, like Louise, loved Clue as a kid. Mm-hmm. And it really felt mysterious every time we played. Other kids' faves were sorry, like you, Ian. Uh, and is she calling me a sorry something? And the Barbie <laughs> game in which throughout the game one picks a prom dress, a boyfriend, a high school club of which to be president, and a sport. With those four things, one heads to the prom. First one there's a winner. The second <laughs> one there is a carry who destroys the prom. No, I'm just making that. Um, <laughs> I can we, see how that would be appealing. Because mm-hmm, never I've the game never of life played. is appealing in that way too, that you're like, you know, your pretend life in the game of life. And I can see... How all those yeah. things, especially when you're, especially if you're younger, kind of like a preteen, that, you know, the kind of preteen age where you're, you'd like a boyfriend, but you're not quite there yet, you know? Yeah, you, you like him, but you don't spin a thing to find out. Like, <laughs> like him. I have never played Life and I have never played Clue. Really? Or Cluedo. <laughs> I loved Clue growing up. I, that was a really, was a really fun game to play. Never, and... never played it. Always wanted to play that game that was a masterpiece. That I was confused with Clue. Okay, I don't know that one. It was like Clue, I think, but then it all came down to things like Rembrandt's, and you had to like guess, I think, something about uh, like actual masterpieces Hmm. of uh, art. Yeah, I'll try and find. Let me write this down. Write it down. I bought. I never played the game of life, but I bought it for the girls at a at a thrift store when they were much younger, and they they loved that game. I knew they would. This is one of those games that are just you know. It's kind of fun to live like an adult life when you're a kid. Sure. You know, pretend adult life anyway. Get your kids in the car with you and get a job and et cetera, et cetera. And at the end of the game, you die. Is that how it goes? Yes. The game of death. How do you win? How do you win at the game of life? You, mo- the one with the most stuff wins. Oh, okay. Fair. Just like real life. All right. Uh, we played lots of different card games. Family favorites have always been Euchre and Pounce, a sort of Crazy fast moving multiplayer solitaire, which I never win because I'm way too slow, but I keep playing because I'm a good sport. I like dominoes with my grandparents too, so did I. 
no need, no speed needed for that one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, now my 13-year-old grandson and I play a lot of board games, uh, Sequence and sometimes Quirkle. I don't know. Has anyone heard of these? Not me. No. Uh, in this computer uh, room closet, there are lots of old board games still, including the Game of Life, Monopoly, Payday, Upwards. Uh, these are rarely played now, but I can't bear to get rid of them. I have two tiny granddaughters coming up, and I'll save these for them. They'll love them. Uh, I'm not thinking of any fans playing to yet. I'll leave that up to you, David and Ian. And the other sneaky dragon heads. We prefer they're called peeps, Laurel. <laughs> you know that. We like that. Now. You're all extremely good at that and so entertaining, too. Ciao for now. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'll read one more. My throat isn't uh, trashed yet. Okay. And you did a lot of uh, vampire talk. I did, I did. I want to rest your throat a little bit. Uh, Louise, it's me again. We know Louise. We saw your name. Um, <laughs> Hi, Louise. I've also, I've also been trying to wrap my head around the GameStop story, so I tried coming up with a simple explanation for shorting a stock. Here it goes. I want to make some money. I'm too lazy to write anything myself, but I heard about this book that Ian and Nina got published called Sparks. I don't have a copy of it, but my sister does. So I pay her a fee to borrow it from her. I sign a contract to temporarily sell the book to a collector. Let's call him Dave for oh, $10. I like where the story is going. It is sad that the colorist did not get comps. <laughs> okay. Uh, I promise to buy it back from him on a certain day for whatever the price is uh, then. Going price is then. I think the book will get bad reviews hey, and drop in popularity. <laughs> And collectors will be sorry they bought it and start selling off their copy. Uh, I gamble that at that future date, uh, there will be so many used copies for sales. God damn it. The going price will be less than $10. Why would Dave take my bet? Well, he thinks the coloring is so fantastic uh -huh, that people will be snapping up copies. They'll get scarce. And collectors will be willing to pay more than $10 to get a copy. On the day I promised to buy it back, if the, pr if the going price has gone down from $10 to $1, I'd only have to pay Dave $1 to buy the book back. And I'd make a profit of $9. <laughs> evil twin laugh. <laughs> this is an evil twin. That is true. <laughs> then I'd give the book back to my sister, who wouldn't care if I made money. She'd already uh, got her fee for lending me the book. You should probably give the book a wipe down. It's COVID times. <laughs> How to GameStop me. But... Say I've been going around saying how much Spark sucks and bragging about how much I'll make off that rube. Dave, when the price goes down. <laughs> yeah, and Vicky and Lisa say, screw her, we love Sparks. And Dave, we're telling a bunch of our friends to pool their loonies. Oh, it's Canadian. And start <laughs> buying up Sparks for 50 60 $70 a copy. Other collectors say, gee, I never knew Sparks was so popular. I better get me some. On the day I promised to buy back the copy from Dave, the going price is now $100. WTF with Mark Marin. No. <laughs> Not only do I have to give Dave back the original $10, I now have to pay $90 extra. The price will probably go down to what uh, a secondhand graphic novel is worth again. But I'm locked into buying the book back from Dave on that specific date because, oh, them's the rules of future commodities market. Oh, no, I've got to sell my Gemini Award. Give me that. <laughs> here we go. Oh, what have I got? Have I got some Paw Patrol merch? Get it over here. i got to sell that as well. Holy moly. <laughs> That's a good description of everything. By the way, uh, Louise, you mentioning the John Krasinski thing and kissing Pete Davidson. Yeah, you also saw the Paw Patrol reference, huh? 
where like his kids would only be impressed if he was involved with Paw Patrol. There you go. Louise is involved with Paw Patrol, we're just saying. Um, <laughs> yes. Edward Dragansky writes, Oh, Edward, did you hear us talking about Dr. Pepper? Uh, Dave was a huge card Dad, player. Dad was a huge card player. Oh, no, I'm saying Dave. Oh, Dad, <laughs> it's all Dave now. Rest of the show, all uh, Dave. I'm sorry. Um, so, yeah, things are starting to get a little woo, but I can still read this one. Yep. Dad. Sorry. Who am I going to call Dave? Because I feel, you know. <laughs> I think, I, here's the thing. My friend Dave over here, one, he's a dad. It's true. Okay? That's true. Two, his initials spell dad. Okay. There you go. So, anyway. <laughs> I, I, this is where I'm making my mistakes. I'm fine, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yes, I've been locked in a house for a year, but I'm fine. <laughs> I didn't think Dave was your dad. Anyway, Edward, let me read your letter. Dad was a huge card player and taught us all the card games from a beaten up old Hoyle card game book, which he probably still has. Oh, so you Arts. you played according to Hoyle then? Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, Popeye Hoyle from the movie <laughs> French Connection. Hearts, um, Blackjack, Spades, Crazy Eights, we played them all. Uh, I should have played them all. Uh, at school, it was uh, if it was raining during recess, the teachers would open up this huge locker in the hall with every sort of game inside. We didn't have a gym in my school, so we just gathered in corners of the classroom or pull our desks together and play Clue, Uno, or whatever we could get our hands on from the game locker. That sounds great. By the way, did you hear what happened to Game Locker? Oh, man, the stock <laughs> just went through the roof. Um, certain families were known for their games. They played, too. My uh, friend's family, I uh, grew up two houses down, Played Yahtzee all the time. Never played Yahtzee. Or the game of life. Yeah, it's important. It was uh, just my friend and I. Uh, we played Risk. Never played it. Stratego. I played a version called Admirals. Or one of those boxed war games from World War II. I remember he and I were hooked on a game in 1981 called Dark Tower. I remember Dark Tower, which was semi-electronic. Damn rights it was. But a <laughs> fantasy board game. Crazy commercial as well. Uh, I read it's making a comeback. You may remember it, and there is a link there. That's good. Um, I don't remember that at all. Yes, the spooky ad. <laughs> uh, we spent many late nights playing this game, but it never led to D&D like you think it might have. The mm. mom of another close friend of mine would always set up the Othello game and challenge us to beat her, <laughs> but nobody could. She was the Othello champion. I like Othello. Othello, yeah, the point of the game there is to not listen to... Iago, so you do not kill your wife. That's right. Um, my kids are huge board game nuts. They still get them out on occasion and play. Oh. They were raised on Monopoly, Uno, and Battleship, among many others. I played a lot of Battleship. I never really played Monopoly. I never liked I just, Monopoly. I found Monopoly no one did. No one too long, Monopoly. too long no a game. No one liked Monopoly. I didn't, rea- uh, I didn't realize how, how immersed I'd been in board games until I wrote all this. It's making me want to play some again. If I could just find someone to play one with me. Oh, now I feel sad about that. We would happily play a game with you. Um, <laughs> I've never considered myself the kind of person who would uh, propose rewriting anything, much less a movie. My mind uh, really doesn't think things out in that way, so I just accept the films that I see and either like them or not. I have a huge amount of admiration for those who write screenplays and scripts. It's something I could never do, uh, and for me, seems impossible. Disagree! Uh, but, uh, but that's fine. If that's how you feel, that's how you feel. But I think you could. Uh, I've always had the joke uh, that if any of the classic films need fixing, they should go back and colorize the first 15 minutes of NGM's <laughs> Wizard of Oz. Can you imagine the outcry if anyone ever did that? 
A while back, I thought Ted Turner might actually do it. That would be funny if you colorized the front part and did not colorize the last scene. <laughs> it just comes back and like, why is she in black and white now? How does this make sense? My theory, of course, is the front part is uh, through the eyes of Toto, who is colorblind. But once <laughs> he gets to Oz, it's a magical land where animals can talk and all this other stuff. And now he can see in color for the first time. That is my fan fiction theme. Um, continues. <laughs> Racking my brain a bit and taking a long evening walk, I dedicated my thoughts to any film I might have wanted a different outcome from. The results! Avengers Endgame. Knowing what the Russo brothers put into this film, all the twists and turns it made during the time heist, there was one outcome I would like to have seen done differently. Knowing that the task of Cap returning the Infinity Stones to where they came from in and of itself is its own story, most likely one we'll never see. When Cap did eventually make it to Vormir to return the Soul Stone to the Red Skull, that would have been worth seeing. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen Cap receive Natasha in return. Not that being able to see what happened during Cap's exploits, we'd see Natasha materialize on the time platform instead of Cap at the end. Since the Soul Stone is given as a sacrifice for someone you love, it makes sense that Cap could get Natasha back uh, because of his love for her. That's, you know, well, let's talk in a second about that. I thought it would have been fitting end to the story, which I enjoyed over the span of the Infinity Saga. I'm a really big fan of uh, Johansson's uh, Black Widow and the MCU. I thought it was quite a journey. Speaking of the MCU, what do you guys think of WandaVision? I'm enthralled by it. And I realize the story is centered around the pain and remorse of Wanda, which gives great depth to the Olsen role. I've read over the years how many Marvel fans have some personal hangups with women in leading MCU roles. One of my friends in particular can't seem to get around it. Personally, I've rather enjoyed the women in the MCU and that they're bringing uh, and what they're bringing to these films. I look forward to WandaVision, where it's taking us uh, to the elusive Black Widow film, hopefully later this year. Let's hear it for the ladies. Hey, ladies. Yeah, when you see that scene, <laughs> hey, ladies. Yeah, it's not the best scene, but where you see every woman basically all together in the uh, Marvel. There's no reason for them to be there. Uh, all together, except you go, that's a lot of good characters. <laughs> Are you talking about in Endgame when they have that little, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it's kind of oh, like, like it's kind of, like it's kind of a stiff sort of moment. You're just, oh yeah, it's not a good scene. Kind of like, but you do realize there's a lot of good characters there. Sure. Why not give them, why not give them a, a individual moments instead of just plunking them all together in a, in a little tableau? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I'm a big Mantis fan. I would have liked a little something, something more from her there instead of just, oh, there she is. Mantis. <laughs> Um, yeah, you can really get into the old fan fiction there of uh, Captain America meeting Red Skull. I, I, I would, mm, they, they got to do something with that at some point. They got to do something with that at some point. That would be, uh, that'd be interesting. Uh, I don't know what sacrifice Captain America could make that would bring black, back Black Widow. Yeah, I don't think it works that way. I think, I think it's kind of a one way, one way journey. Well, here's what I wonder is like, so if you throw someone, sorry, spoilers for Indian. If you throw someone that you love off the cliff, you get the stone. What if you, okay, give me two, two ways going about this. Yeah. One, you throw the stone off the cliff. What happens? Do you, get, do you get the person back? Because most people are so obsessed about getting the stone, they're willing to, to do this sacrifice. Yeah. This is someone who's willing to sacrifice the stone. Do they get the person back? Is that the trade-off you get there? And if not, I don't think how, does but... this, how does the stone ever return? Yeah, I don't think that. I mean, the reason that he returns the stone is so that it's 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 there. So uh, what's his face doesn't suspect that they've uh, already used it, right? 
because it has to be right. there. It's it has to be there for. Uh, yeah, he's got to put it back for uh, for Thanos to to come for, and get. For, for that. Well, that's interesting. Like, it'd be interesting if he like then somehow knew how the stone. Oh. But I think I think that the I think the price you pay is to get the stone. It doesn't matter what you do with it. Mm. I mean, they did use it just because they're returning it. Doesn't mean that they didn't have it. It'd be, it's like. Like if you went, you know, it's like the idea of buying a coat and wearing it and then bringing it back to the store and saying, can I get my money back? They're going to be, well, no, you used it, you know. Yeah, this is one of those things you pay, where... That's a price you pay for it. Although, uh, that's one of the things I didn't really like in, in Endgame is I, it doesn't make any sense because it's not a sacrifice of, of, of Black Widow. You know, like she volunteers to, to jump. Like it's not done unwi- unwillingly. Like, you know, it's not the scene of, um, of um, when Thanos takes... yeah. You know, takes I can't remember the name of the character now. Um, Gamora. Gamora, yeah, and throws her. Like that's like that's a heart wrenching sequence because you it's upsetting to him, you know, and it's upsetting to her. Of course, she doesn't want to die, and he but and he doesn't want to hurt her. It's he's she's his daughter, and however cruel and heartless he is, he does have a, this affection for her, you know. And but whereas the scene between Black Widow and and um and Arch and Archer guy, Hawkeye, yeah. Hawkeye. It's like a a fight between them to throw themselves off the cliff. Right, they're both trying to sacrifice themselves. Yeah, and that's not. Right, I don't think. Okay, here's and I don't thing. think that's the intention. Like, I don't think you know. You're, the, you're not supposed you're to willingly right. jump. You're supposed to be. One of them has to give up something of great value to them. This is the this is the thing. You've got you've got a situation where like normally uh, people who are trying to use these stones are not trying to lo- use these stones for uh, the greater good. They're using the stones for power. They're greedy. All of the things you got to do for the stones uh, are, uh, you know, selfish. And so this is a very selfish thing. You've got to get rid of your last shred of humanity by killing the thing you love, and that gives you power. What they're doing is different. You're correct. It is not what the skull tells uh, Thanos you have to do. Yeah. Right. But the skull tells Thanos what he has to do to get the stone. Yeah. They're not necessarily, you know, they. So what does he tell them they have to do? That's the thing. Like he know, he knows Thanos isn't going to jump off the the cliff himself, yeah. and sacrifice himself to give Gamora the stone. Yeah, there's no way that's there. So there's no reason uh, that, the, that the Red Skull would go. Oh, you know what? Uh, also, the other way you could do this, of course, is the sacrifice of yourself, and then you can give it to Gamora, and she would. Yeah, you know, but of course that makes no sense. So there's no point in the skull laying out that option, <laughs> right? Like there's no point in that. So uh, with them both going over the edge, here's where I would go with this. It's like, that's how you get her back. Because they didn't do it the traditional way. Yeah. They did not do that. It was a selfless sacrifice. Now, when she's falling, like her whole thing, her whole motivation is, I've got red in my ledger. I've done some things. Her, her, her journey is, I've killed people. I've done horrible things that I, 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 I want to be redeemed, or at least I want to make amends for. And finally, over time, she's given, now, she's given with this, the ability to make amends. She can sacrifice something and get the red out of her ledger. This is the thing she wants to do more than anything else. Yeah. So she jumps off and she knows she is going to uh, sacrifice herself for this, which is exactly what she wants. Yeah. She's doing. She's at peace. She, her 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 sin, as it was, is gone. She is in. She she has to sacrifice something she loves. She now loves herself. She can love herself. She can be at peace with herself. She she has fulfilled what this is. If Hawkeye jumped off. He does not love himself at this point. He feels guilty. He doesn't like who he's become. He feels he feels horrible about himself. He's a murderer. Yeah. He's, he's he's bad. So if he landed, no no dice, Jack. But she lands. 
that's okay. He gets the stone. But it, but it was a different situation than the, uh, the Thanos thing. So I think there's a possibility that uh, she could come back in some form. I would, uh, I would hope so, especially since, uh, you, you know, um, Thanos got to see Gamora's little girl version in the stone, you know, uh, when, when he was kind of in that halfway world of the soul stone. So yeah, we'll see. Hmm. We'll see. We'll see. Also, I have a feeling that her contract was also up. So Possibly. And there's only so long you want to work out that hard. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of work. But when you talk like a Chris Evans, it's just like, how many push-ups do you want to do a day, Jack? Like, <laughs> and, you know, it's a lot oh of God. a lot of crunches there. That's a lot of not drinking water. <laughs> you know, that's a lot of that. Mick Elliott writes, by the way, Mick, I got to have some of that delicious chocolate. Thank you so much. Uh, other family members of mine also enjoyed it as well. Um, yeah, so good. Thank you. And thanks, Dave, for uh, dropping it off at a safe distance. Uh, <laughs> I threw it through the window with a, uh, tied to a brick. And thank you for the book. Uh, I'm reading it now, uh, Holy Shit, the uh, World's Weirdest Comic Books. Uh, I know of some of these already, uh, things like uh, Cosmo the Merry Martian mm. and what have you. Yeah, some of these make uh, are familiar to me. And some of them, oh my lord! <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a weird collection because some of them are like truly weird, yeah. and other ones are just kind of like, well, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, so. it's like a meat a meat company's uh, comic book. Okay, well, it's yeah, fine. that's I guess so. That's right. And some of them are a little racist, and some of them are <laughs> Spider Man ripoff. And did you, by the way, Mick? Did you know? Hey, Mick, how you doing? Uh, Mick, did you know that uh, when uh, Gwen Stacy died in the Spider Man comics? They were being published, I want to say, well, I want to say Mexico. I want to say Mexico. Um, maybe I'm wrong. But it's in some other country. And they were. And it was so popular that they were like, don't kill off Gwen Stacy. So there, they, were, they just did their own Spider-Man books where Gwen and Peter were married. <laughs> and they just kept going with those stories for a while. Fun. Yeah. So that was a, that was a thing that should be, you know, weird shit. Maybe it is. And I haven't gotten to that chapter yet. Uh, Mick Elliott writes us, though, and says... In the 80s in Australia, Test Match was uh, the must-have board game for cricket-loving kids. It was a scale version of a cricket field with tiny <laughs> figures and a ball-bearing-sized cricket ball. The bowler and batter figures had articulated arms that could roll a ball or swing a bat, respectively. Like most board games, though, the effort of setting it up and packing it away outweighed the actual enjoyment of the game. Uh, yes, that's the most trap effect. Well, hey, you're absolutely right. Uh, it was always great, uh, great visiting a friend's house when they had a board game uh, that you coveted. That's how I discovered Mousetrap mm. and Game of Life. Though not strictly a board game, I still love to play Uno with my kids. Great game. Quick poll. How do you pronounce that game? Do you pronounce it Uno or Uno? I do uh, Uno, and I play it also on computer, where the computer tells me it's Uno. So <laughs> I believe the computer. I, uh, I I like to play Uno as well. I have never played it on a computer, though. I just like to play. Um, we haven't been playing it lately, of course, at work, but uh, we used to in the past during the winter months when we couldn't play outside, we would play uh, uh, games of Uno at, at, during lunch. Cool. Yes, it's a lot uh, of fun. And let's get into the movie Quick Fixes from Mick. Oh. Yeah, Mr. Uh, Mick a fix a flick. <laughs> 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 Look, Look how sharp I am. Oh, you are. You are. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you get sharp. The first three hours, boof, forget know, about it. Boy, I really, I really pick it up. <laughs> For the, the last, the next three hours, oh, on I the know. point. I'm glad we're at the halfway point now. Um, 
I love Terry Gilliam's Brazil, but Jonathan Price is totally miscast in the main role. Huh, interesting. Strong opinion. Let's yeah. See where he's going with okay, it. my question to well, you just finish off, finish off, and then I can ask. I can ask right, a question. He is a fantastic actor, but the film could have been much uh, more with a different lead. Mick, suggest that lead. Yeah, so just a lead, and then I would like to know when you became familiar with with Jonathan Price. Like when I saw Brazil, I don't think I knew him at all. I hadn't seen how how to get ahead in advertising. Is that, that a movie's in or not? No, that's uh, that's Richard Richard E. Grant. Um, yeah. I hadn't seen him in anything. And so him in that role, he seemed perfectly fine as Sam, I think his name is in that, in that role. Like I hadn't seen him because since then he's kind of, he often plays heavies. We all of course remember him in GI Joe, uh, retaliation where he plays the president of the United States. And we were, we, he was also the, uh, the love interest in, um, uh, jumping Jack flash. A Whoopi Goldberg movie? With Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> Did he go to the Friars, Cl- Friars Club after that? So, yeah. So I just wonder because you know, like, yeah, he plays a he plays a baddie in James Bond. He plays a baddie in in Jay Joe. You know, he's often plays kind of kind of the role as the as the executive heavy. That's kind of where he sort of fell, fallen in his career. Although he wasn't the two popes, right? He played a pope. He played anyway. Doesn't matter. Um, and I wonder, I wonder if Mick just kind of associates him. With those those parts, unless you saw Brazil in the what is it nineteen eighty four it came out eighty six sure. eighty not eighty four maybe eighty six but eighty five eighty six but uh, just wonder if you saw it later on and you'd already kind of associated him with different roles so that eighty five yeah uh, you know what I mean so like sometimes you know like so when I saw him he was a blank slate but maybe when Mick saw him he already had associations of him being in, in, in different sort of roles. Well, I don't want to talk for Mick, uh, but uh, I would like to know what Mick thinks. Uh, yeah, please. I'm going to throw this lead. I'm going to throw this name out. Yep, John Cleese in the role of Sam. Yeah. No. I think he could have been like a, a worker who's constantly scared, and also, you know, able to uh, be flying. And I don't know. I don't. Th- he doesn't. He doesn't. He's not a. He's not a melodroit though. Like he, he, I don't mm-hmm. think he could play a. I don't think he could play like a kind of socially inept or shy kind of character. I don't know if he would really fly in that. Uh, like I le- with the wings, he wouldn't fly. <laughs> even even with the wings, he wouldn't fly. I don't know. It's yeah. It's a good. It'd have to be someone from that time period. All right, Mick. Let us know what you think. Yeah, you think think about it. Uh, and continues. And though I love Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I never really believed that Cameron was going to be okay when he explained to his dad how they destroyed the Ferrari. It leaves a bad taste that uh, Ferris leaves Cameron to deal with the aftermath of their day. Of course, Ferris is a creep. Okay, we'll get to that. And also, uh, all Judd Apatow films should be thirty minutes shorter. Agree. Okay, if they're thirty minutes long, if they're Whoa. ninety minutes, if they're ninety minutes long, they should be ninety minutes shorter. It is worth now bringing up the Cameron theory, which is that the whole day uh, is taking place in Cameron's mind, and it's dealing with his issues with his father, and he created this Ferris Bueller character, who is the opposite of him, uh, to fantasize about this whole day that will then end with the car being destroyed. But why? So, but why is why is the principal or vice principal trying to chase down? No, no. The whole movie is uh, from the point where like Cameron is called in his uh, like Cameron's in his bed. Yeah. The whole movie is Cameron in his bed thinking about this. And so, Mister Rooney, or was that his name? The none, none of that shit happens. Yeah, it's just like, he made up. Uh, he made up the whole thing. He made up the Ferris Bueller thing. The whole day trip uh, is uh, him lying in his bed trying to make sense of his life. Does not make. That's one thing. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. But okay. All right. 
this is a this is a fan theory. <laughs> uh, there's a, there's some Fight Clubish uh, elements that are going there. Here's what I uh, here's what I think is uh, that is where Cameron decides he's going to kill his dad. So, um, <laughs> so what, what what happens is Daddy comes home. Uh, Cameron bonk back of the head uh, for Papa. Drag Papa down to the car. Put Papa in the car. Set the car on fire. Well. Uh, dad uh, drove, the, drove the car out the window. Uh, something was wrong with Dad, and now it's free. Um, <laughs> Peter uh, writes, Very dark. Uh, in my humble opinion, Ferris Bueller's Day Off would be much improved by remaking it to acknowledge the chaos that narcissistic psychopath leaves in his wake. As seen from the heroic Mr. Rooney's point of view. <laughs> the heroic Mr. So that's, is, that's the name of the principal, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, Sarah Walsh uh, writes us. By the way, the best the best character in there, and I forget her name, uh, is uh, is uh, the the girl who you know she's she's great. She acts the hell out of that movie. Oh, <laughs> oh. oh my gosh, I, I always liked her. She was in um, she was also she was in Legend, right? And she was also in the terrible uh, Birds of Prey TV series where she played Harley Quinn. Oh, I don't, I, I don't know. Mia something. Mia, let's see. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. What is the name of her? Mia Sarah. I don't know her. Mia, Mia Sarah. She's also in Time Cop. Not, not familiar with these films. Time Cop, which took place uh, opening scene in a mall that was a couple blocks from my apartment. Uh, I always thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> um, okay, back to uh, Sarah Walsh writing. I was essentially an only child. I did get some half siblings in my teens but they didn't live with me. So I didn't play board games very often. But just now, while I was writing this reply, I remembered a game that I hadn't thought about in years. Jax! Oh, Jax, fun. Me too. Uh, My grandmother who raised me used to play uh, it as a kid, and she taught me. She was actually really good. Uh, I always got Jax for free. There'd be like something like, I'd get a little package or something, and one of the things in there would just be a thing of Jax. Yeah, yeah. Play jacks, and then of course you leave him on the ground. Your dad steps on him, and then you have to kill him in the car later because he's no threat. My grandmother raised me. Used to play it as a kid, and she taught me. She was actually really good. I don't know how many people are familiar with it, and apparently it goes by lots of other names. Jills. Yeah, but you have if girls play, it's called Jills. That's mm-hmm. correct. That's right. Uh, but you have a little bouncy ball and ten little spiky objects called jacks. You throw the jacks out at the ground. As you toss the ball up, grab a jack, catch the ball before it bounces uh, more than once, uh, all with the same hand. You keep doing this till you pick up all the jacks, and that's a full round. Next round, you have to move on to two jacks per toss, then three, then more. Uh, then you can go with your non-dominant hand or make a gesture around the ball before you catch it. All sorts of embellishments and extra challenges. We used to play it on the kitchen floor. I even taught it to one of my babysitters. Now I want to play it again, but I might have to use a table. I don't think my neck can handle playing on the floor. Uh, when I, I remember pick them up because people are going to step on them and then everyone's going to be sad. Uh, when I visited my grandmother for summer and winter vacations, my cousin and I played a lot of Uno and Sorry. I feel uh, I might have already told the story of my grandmother cheating at Uno. So I won't tell it again, but I had a lot of fun. I don't remember. I don't remember that story. Do you remember her talking? I don't know. Nana, Nana and Uno? No, I have not. Um, Nana Uno? I can't think of any movies I'd fix, which is annoying because I know there are some, and I'm eventually, but I did want to second the recommendation for In and of Itself, which was wonderful. And I also wanted to chime in on ice dancing. Uh, I became a big fan of Torval and Dean for a while. They skate like one person, just incredible. 
I even acquired a PAL VCR at one point to watch one of their shows and some Penn & Teller specials from the UK. The Chumba Wumba playlist is still coming. <laughs> I promise. It's been a busy and exhausting week. Several weeks, in fact. There's a lot of anticipation for this Chumba Wumba. Yeah, and also anticipation for what she's about to talk about next. I mm. do have some good news, though. Today I got my first dose of the COVID vaccine. Nice. Yay. <laughs> I work at a big chain pharmacy drugstore, and they offered it to employees a few days ago, so I jumped on the chance. Okay, I hope you didn't have to jump onto the needle. That's the wrong way to get it. <laughs> but however you get it is how you get it. I'm now one giant step closer to playing live music with my friends and family again. That is excellent, Sarah. If you don't mind, could you send us some of your blood? Just so I could get some blood in me and maybe I'll get through that vaccine. Um, Just, there, oh, sorry. So what are you going to say? No, no. That was my request was for her blood. Oh, okay. Thank you, Barnabas. Um, I was just going to say, I just one interesting... So this is me, I'm sorry. But I just found it interesting that she she used the term, so I jumped on the chance. Whereas w- I would say I jumped at the chance. Oh. I always find it interesting when article when like prepositions slightly change in, in idioms. So someone else said some, something happened on accident. Yes. And I would say by accident. Something happened by accident, not on accident. I just think it's sort of interesting how different different regions or different uh, different ways of using prepositions or, or art, you know not articles but prepositions or whatever in um in prepositions or adjectives whatever in um idioms like that it's, it's kind of interesting sorry sorry go on with your reading all right but let me also say two quick uh mia sarah uh trivia things okay uh she was married at one point to jason connery son of sean connery oh there we are okay he had a son yep dashiell quinn connery Fan of, then, fan of uh, Dashiell Hammett. Yeah, they, they divorced in 2002. Hmm. She is currently married to Brian Henson, son of Jim Henson. Wow. And they have one daughter, uh, Amelia Jane Henson. Hmm. So if she has two children that are of the bloodlines of the Conneries and <laughs> the Hensons. Wow. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah, um, pretty cool. Louise responds, there was a Jack's revival when I was in elementary school. The floor of the girls' recess room would be an impassable, impassable due to the small circles of players huddled together. We'd uh, throw away the crappy rubber ball that came with a jack set and use one of those super bouncy balls. Good call. Very good. Uh, <laughs> so you'd have more time to execute your jack grabbing. Yeah. I don't ball know. It feels like cheating has, somehow. Yeah. No, ball technology has advanced. And we've we got to live <laughs> in the world. Right? Okay. All right. Also, children's hands have gotten much larger. Um, <laughs> R- RJ is our final uh, web uh, uh, message board uh, letter. We have others, but uh, this is just the web. Uh, RJ writes, Monopoly, gosh, does that classic board game ever end well? Uh, without close friends or family members screaming at each other and calling it a night? No. Never does. <laughs> As a kid in the late 90s, I upgraded to Monopoly for Game Boy. Huge improvement. Uh, yeah, it's available on the Switch right now. Hmm. Um, while board games really That's a Switch. Uh, really, <laughs> it used to be just a game, boy. Um... <laughs> While board games really weren't a big thing for us growing up, old Bond movies definitely were. I remember Dave in a past episode remarking that he had a nostalgic fondness for the campy, uh, desert, dust-ridden Bond classic, Diamonds Are Forever. (laughs) I can't help but agree and admit to also having an undying love for this truly flawed stinker based (laughs) purely on nostalgic images of it being in the background at some point in my childhood. 
Bond yeah. recollections aside, it is truly bonkers from an era defined by uh, by motion pictures made under the influence of heavy, mind-altering substances. Was this <laughs> the chance to really turn the franchise around? Perhaps a gritty early 1970s revenge film with Bond, Bond avenging Blofeld for the death of Tracy? Only one film earlier, a simple neo-noir chase film, a la The French Connection or Le Saint Rouge. Apparently it wasn't. We are left with a bloated Connery running around Vegas, truly confusing plot, and some pretty unstellar acting and cinematography. Would I, be interested, would I be interested in somebody recutting the old footage and making the film work? Perhaps adding a darker mood and score? Sure. Would I actually want to fix it? Absolutely not. Like those beat-up canvas pants that fit just right. Diamonds Are Forever is a charming time capsule and is perfect just the way it is. Sure, it's bonkers, but that's why you love it. It's actually quite interesting to see Las Vegas barely developed in the early 70s. Whenever I drive from Los Angeles to Las Vegas for a road trip, which unfortunately has not been for quite a while due to COVID, uh, sometime due to COVID, I always put the Diamonds Are Forever James Bond podcast episodes as a semi-tradition. The film still brings me back to the shy seventh grader I once was when I found it, though I now understand Connery's chunk clunky line of, as long as the collars and cuffs match. Q-I-Roll. <laughs> yes, the James Bonding podcast. That was a lot of fun in its day. And inspired us to do Completely Beatles. It did. It was the reason we did Which you should Beatles. only listen to that podcast while wearing earmuffs. <laughs> Very nice. Okay, well. I hope those earmuffs match the collar. <laughs> what? You've gone too far with this impression. <laughs> That's right. It's as long as the... Oh, dear. As long as the curtain matches the muff. Um, so as long as the M matches the Q. <laughs> so we got a uh, we got a a audio question from Jonathan. Sounds good. Two time winner of the Sne- uh, Sneaky Dragon question and answer episode. And here is I'll just play the audio for you. Here we go. You ready for okay. this? Oh, I pressed it. I pressed the button. I thought. Dave, Ian, keep up the good work. Question for you. Which superhero would you allow to babysit your children? Alternatively, which superhero would you not allow to babysit your children? Keep up the good work. I would not allow the Punisher because he would then, uh, the kid would die and have to avenge him. Um, actually, Terrible vendetta. Avengers, I think it's a bad idea. Um, I would say the, the best babysitter, well, mm-hmm. that's clear, would be um, Squirrel Girl because she is the nanny of Luke Cage and Jessica Jones's uh, daughter. And so she knows her way around a uh, child. She will protect the child. And she has never, if I'm correct, lost a fight. So, yeah, she's beat Thanos hand-by-hand uh, in hand-to-hand combat, as well as Dr. Doom. So, yeah, I'm going to go Squirrel Girl for uh, babysitting, and uh, Punisher is the least least one. Hmm. I, I would allow, uh, as a babysitter for my children... Ambush bug. I think he would he would be the best babysitter for kids. He also has uh, teleportation abilities, so he can get out of trouble. Exactly. The one I wouldn't want to babysit children, I think I would have to say Batman. I think Batman has a bad record with with kids. Yeah, he's killed a lot of Robins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and I don't yeah, want him like I don't want him re- grooming and recruiting one of my children to become the next Robin as well. I agree with that. I would agree with that completely. Good call. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, so we got some we got some emails. Okay. 
And so I'm going to hit you with these. You ready? By the way, if you want to uh, email us, yep. uh, stinkyd at stinkydragon.com. That is correct. And uh, and if you do that, I get to read them. So that's fun for me. So this is this is from RJ, who we just heard from in uh, comment form. But before he sent us a comment, he actually sent an email, which has a subject, hello, Ian and Dave, and also starts with, hello, Ian and Dave. So I like that, <laughs> I like that the subject matches the drapes. I have been meaning to write in for the last several weeks, but like everyone have lost sense of all time amidst the pandemic and i'm only getting to it now what you can say in sorry i said amen amen (laughs) can i get an amen you gave it i wanted to give you both a long overdue thank you for all the amazing work you have contributed to the world (laughs) sorry i mean that's nice that's very nice i just feel like that well okay i'll take it it could be nicer keep going (laughs) i first found you guys through totally tintin in late 2017 and have been a loyal listener ever since well thank you for that as somebody whose childhood was defined by tintin and old vhs james bond movies i have extreme respect for the content you provided for such a niche fan base (laughs) very true I am slowly but sure, surely learning German this year. Ah, das gut. And I'm hoping to start collecting German editions of the Erge comics and using them as reading comprehension. It's a good idea. Mm-hmm. There are too many highlights from the show to bore you with in this email, but suffice it to say, your podcast has been a warm winter blanket throughout the last year. Oh, that's very nice. Especially here in COVID, oh, sorry, COVID, especially here in COVID Battlefield, Los Angeles. Ah, you know what? Someone was asking, like, movies that aren't generally liked, but you you have a strange like for them. Yeah. And that is one I really like is Battlefield Los Angeles. Okay. That Aaron Eckert vehicle. I don't know. I just love that movie. I just, I don't know. I like it. I like it kind of, kind of for the same reason I like Dread, which is, I just like this sort of, like, machine-like, you know, sense of purpose of these characters just to, like, do their job against all odds. And even though, like, it seems hopeless, they just continue on, like, with the job. I just like that. But anyway. Sorry to get get sidetracked by your reference to Battlefield Los Angeles. Please stay safe and know that everything you put out week by week is beyond essential for helping people like us keep our sanity, pandemic or no pandemic. Thank you so much, and I will try and write in more regularly now. RJ. And he says in a PS, Thank you for suggesting that man from Rio back in your Tintin days. I just recently watched it and love it. Samba music, <laughs> 1960s Paris, slash Rio, Adolfo Celli, fantastic wardrobe, what's not to like? I'm taking this opportunity to re-recommend it to fellow sneakers. Such a fun film. And Oh, you're right. You're right, RJ. It is a super fun film. And you forgot also to mention that they go to, um, is what's the name of that town now? Uh, oh, I forgot it. Brasilia? You know, the city that, like, they go to the, as they're building what became the capital city of of Brazil, they're just they were just building in the '60s. It's like a, it was like a you know like a new newly designed ultra modern city of its of that time period, built out in the jungle, and and the and the film was able to use it just as they were starting construction on it. So it's really quite fascinating to see. What a fun movie! The man, that man from Rio. It's a French film. It's basically a Tintin story made with different characters because the the director was hired to was uh, up for possibly directing the Tintin movies, but he didn't like he didn't like the way they wanted to make it, so he just decided to make his own, and I think he made a great movie. Super fun. Alright, then, if that's not enough, Chris Roberts writes in, which is great news, because Chris says, Hi fellas, 
Here's a wee voice recording in response to Dave's challenge to me last week to defend my view that The Prisoner ain't a sequel to Danger Man slash Secret Agent Man. Ah. Plus, I just had to put in a plug for Soup ER Super, which is amazing. Hope this oh, is usable so and reaches you in time. Stay safe and well. Lots of love from us folks to you folks. Well, thank you, Chris. Lots of love from us to you. And I have not heard this. So I don't know if I get dragged through the through the through the uh, through the coals here, but whatever happens, let's give a listen. Okay. To Chris. Put it on the turntable. I shall. Oh, wait a second. Hmm. You know what? Let me just go to a different device because I just realized that okay. my um my uh. I thought you were going to tell me that this episode hadn't recorded. You made me scared, but no, it's because it's recording. <laughs> it's fine. Okay. Good. <laughs> no, no. I just I just realized I don't have a I don't have a music player on my on my tab tablet it's just it has to download this comment i guess so i can hear it i knew you could hear it if only i'd known this at the time i maybe i should have pre-listened to it <laughs> that teaches me to be sp- a lot of slurs teaches me to be spontaneous sure all right hello Hi, Ian and Dave. Dave and Ian. It's Chris here from a very snowy and cold Scotland. Hope you guys are doing fine. Your friends and family are all okay. Um, I wanted to get in touch because Dave called me out last week for saying fooey to the idea that um, The Prisoner, the 1960s TV show, could be a sequel or a spin-off from Danger Man or Secret Agent Man. And uh, Dave called on me to defend this controversial opinion on a matter of international significance. And, um, yeah, so here goes. The, the thing for me is that the prisoner um, depends on its ambiguity. I remember seeing it as a kid, and it was that kind of dreamlike or nightmarish quality that really appealed. Nobody is who they say they are. Nothing is as it seems. You don't know where you are other than this island somewhere. And so, you know, come on, Dave. The idea that the central guy would be the same person from another series, that's what they want you to think. <laughs> so, so I, I mean, I guess seriously, I just kind of like the... Um, I like the ambiguity of it. I like the uncertainty of it. And I think anything that would... Um, sort of pin it down in any way, like making it a sequel to Danger Man, kind of, you know, spoils the flavour a wee bit. But that's just me. Um, Other people can have it as a sequel if they want. It's fine. Um, To tell you the truth, I've never actually watched an entire episode of Danger Man (laughs) because it it looks kind of boring. Um, But I'm probably wrong about that, and I should watch some and um, maybe change my mind. (laughs) So there's my defence. Before I go, I just want to say one other thing, which is that the new comic from Ian and Pia, um, Super, is superb. Um, I just loved it. I thought the the story, the characters, the, the artwork, the humour, um, it really, really grabbed me. And uh, I hope that it does well and you get some cash in and you can produce some more copies because um, I really want to know what happens next. Um, and the, the art uh, as well. I was looking forward to art by Pia, so what I saw it was somebody else. 
I wasn't sure, but um, actually the um, the artist, I hope I say this right, Moritat, um, does a fabulous job. Um, just a great effort by everybody. And I think anybody that likes um, Sparks or Exorcisters or Why the Last Man would enjoy this too. So well done. Brilliant, brilliant effort. Okay, that's it for me. I hope you understand my thick Scottish accent. And uh, we'll get through this thing. Love to you guys. Love to all the sneakers. And uh, see you around the clubs. <laughs> uh, nice George Harrison sign-off there. Beautiful. That's George that Harrison. The, the, when he quit the Beatles during the uh, making of Let It Be, that's what he said to them. See you around the clubs. Aww. As he left in a huff. And, Very uh, nice. If he'd, if he'd taken more time, he could have left in a minute and a huff. But Okay, that's a different podcast. <laughs> Our podcast. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Well, thank you, Chris. That's great. And I, I, I do. I, I'll admit that your your reasoning for why you like why you like the idea that the prisoner is sort of its own thing, and I think that's perfectly fine to read it that way. But I kind of actually like it. I like to read it in this way that gives it a different sort of more political paranoia element, which, which is that you know, uh, secret agent man or dan- slash danger man, the original British name for the show. I like the idea that. You know, here's this guy who has loyally served his government as this as a secret agent, going around the world and you know working for the interests of of, of Britain, you know of of you know stopping you know like industrial espionage, uh, you know political uh, creating political turmoil, assassinations, all these sort of things that happen throughout the throughout the show. This person who served his nation that when he wants to like leave the service, instead of like getting his way. It's possible that he is kidnapped by his own government and put into this into this mysterious program on this island. That's some sort of attempt to break him down as a human. I think that's also kind of an interesting twist to it as well. So, a yes, it's fun. It's just like a sort of metaphysical mind game that has like no kind of basis in reality. But also like it as a sort of like uh, political commentary on the nature of spy work as being like without you know it's without borders, but it's also without any ethical framework that anyone who's involved in it is at risk from not only not only the enemy but also his own side also has no has has no uh care for him or no interest in his well-being and i really kind of think that's a a fun fun element of it so i've always i've always liked the idea of of the character of of danger man becoming becoming the prisoner and be sort of lost lost to humanity in, in this on this island or this place this peninsula whatever it is so it's a, uh, you know, six of one, half dozen of the other. Really, I mean, whatever way you like to read it is fine. But I do, I think that to say that it's not not the case at all is, and you just sort of back down from your grand rhetorical statement, and that's fine because I'm also a lover of grand rhetorical statements. So you know, that's 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 great. I think the most important thing is that it was a good plug for a uh, super. Yes, that's, that's the thing. That's the important uh, thing. I have one more letter to read it, but you can you can okay, go to, you I can gotta, do a little plug. I gotta, I gotta say like how you yeah, get super. Sure. Like, Hey, did you hear that? Well, listen, if you're interested in seeing what all the people are talking about in their beautiful accents, uh, then you go to hellkitty.com, that's hellkitty.com, slash super, and that's where you can read uh, an issue of the comic that's done by my wife, Pia Guerra, uh, creator of Why the Last Man, and uh, uh, the amazing editorial cartoonist, and we also do uh, Mannequin on the Moon, the comic strip, uh, on Instagram, soon to be in other things as well. Uh, so, yeah, and uh, with art by Moritat, our friend Moritat, 
uh, a very well-known DC artist at Jonah Hex and so many other things. So healthy.com slash super. There. Back to you, Dave. That's great. Thank you. And uh, yes, that comic is fantastic, everybody. Super enjoyable. And I just have a question before we go on, actually, to this final yeah, final email. Is uh, Was the cover drawn by Pia? Yes. Okay, okay. I was looking, I was going like, boy, Mortad and Pia really have a similar style. <laughs> no, the cover is done by Pia. Okay, that makes more sense. That makes more sense. That's cool. Okay, so this is from Peter Ayers. We heard Peter Ayers. He left a comment about um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off as the narcissistic maniac of uh, the Ferris Bueller. But this time he writes us an email and he says, Hey, David and Ian, thanks for the shout out on last week's show. Looking forward to hearing what you thought of this comic. I have not finished reading it yet, Peter. So I will, I will talk about that later, but I'm really interested in what you have to say about it. He says, you were talking about high concept media and I'm a fan of, I'm going to call Oulipo, which in case you read this out is the literary movement dedicated to inventing creative constraints and sometimes carrying them out. For example, Georges Perec's full length novel, La Disparation contains no letter E, a constraint known as a lipogram. The novel was translated into English by Gilbert Adair as A Void. An amazing feat, but a bit of a slog to read. Olipan works are, uh, are variable in quality. Are variable in quality. Many like A Void are more clever intellectual puzzles than entertaining reads. Some are so clever as to obscure the constraints completely, whilst a select few are both brilliant and delightful. So this is what's kind of funny to me. And the reason I wanted to talk about this this week was because it's a weird kind of bit of uh, synchronicity, as you know, the useless the useless confluence of events. <laughs> um, so Mick sent us that book, holy shit, weird yes. comics. Completely unrelated to that, Peter sent a book via Amazon to me because he thought I'd be interested in it, being a really high concept book called "The Long and Unlearned Life of Roland Gethers." And which was so hilarious was that that is one of the books in Holy Shit. It's oh. one of the comics mentioned in there. So I just thought that was really funny. So it's it's a really interesting comic because it is drawn entirely in multi-panels, with like 20 panels or more on a page. And he never draws the characters as anything other than a dot on, on in this little, you know, in each panel. Yes. So they're tiny dots with the dialogue. And it's really quite interesting. I started to read it, but I it's it's actually... You know, it's it's down a little bit in my reading pile. I'm sorry. I, I well, need to read through my Christmas books that I got. So I'm just in the midst of reading Apropos of Nothing by Woody Allen. And once I finish that, I will then go on to this book. But I did read a little bit of the beginning of it just to see what it was like when I when I first got it. So he says about this book. Oh, I, uh, by the way, I've read this book. Oh, you have read it? Yeah, I've read this book. Oh, I've fantastic. So, so yeah. So he says, by stripping the elements of a comic narrative back to dots, words and frames shane simmons gets to the heart of comics making plain some of the fundamental mechanics of how they work the story could have been written as a novel or scripts but these other forms would lack the pacing the rhythm the imagination moreover the style makes a new form of comic distinct from the standard formats a5 floppy 24 page north american a4 hardback 64 pages uh, francophone. I could go on at much greater length, but it's late here. Suffice to say that by reducing the ingredients, you can open up possibilities. Would you agree with that? Ian? Uh, yeah. It's a, I'm trying to remember the format that I read this in. It wasn't in a long book. Okay. I feel like it was mini comics. You did do it as mini comics originally, then then published it as a. As a that's as what a I. Form. That's what I did. I read okay. the mini comics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Got, I think I've got them in the next room. Yeah. 
I'm wondering now if I actually have those two or some of them anyway. Maybe that's why they're familiar when I was looking at them. It's interesting. Yeah, very, it, uh, it, was, it was really interesting. I liked mm-hmm. it a lot. Mm-hmm. So Peter goes on to say, of course, form isn't everything. And in this case, I'd say the content more than rises to the challenge, telling yeah. a brisk historical saga with brilliant comic timing. I laughed out loud several times and drummed my feet with pleasure at more than a few of the ideas. Now I think of it, if the next issue of Sparks were done this way, then the coloring would be much quicker. <laughs> And Thank probably quiet, probably better. And in answer to the to last week's questions, our favorite card game growing up was probably one version or another of the competitive solitaire game Racing Demon. Hmm. A great game for a train journey or a rainy day indoors. Something about the pace of the game made it extremely addictive, and we'd play round after round. I do not know that one. I'll have to look it up. It's also called Pounce or Nerds. Oh, so we heard someone else talking about Pounce in one of their, in one of their uh, comments earlier. So interesting. Yep. As for board games, the 221B Baker Street game was a lot of fun, trailing around a board of London and picking up clues to solve one of many prepackaged murder mysteries. Movies to fix. That's a tough one. The easiest ones to fix are the ones that get almost everything right and then leave a bad taste in the mouth. The very final moment in Kingsman is a case in point. The ending soured an otherwise jolly romp. Huh. I know people. a lot of people complain about that ending. I didn't mind it. I did think it was sort of a dirty boys joke, but... Eh, whatever. That's also watching like uh, Barack Obama's head blow up is not my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> They're all alike, man. Yeah, it's just politicians. Like, just all politicians. How I feel now, yeah. Don't, all don't, politicians are alike. Yeah, that does make sense. Oh, wait a minute. Don't forget he bailed out the banks. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, he gave, yeah. he gave all those bastards billions of dollars while people, while people lost their mortgages, lost their homes, lost their jobs. Yeah. So, uh, yes. He was also an ally of capitalism, let's say. Back to the Future is generally hailed as a perfect movie, and I'd broadly agree. However, even as a kid, I knew there was something off about the moment near the end where Marty is gratuitously bestowed with a glossy new truck for no narrative reason whatsoever. I don't remember that. Also, the big problem with that is, as I think we've discussed, is he is now in a world he has no idea uh, what happened. Like he no, has no memories of this life. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Later. That's a problem to me. That's a, that's the thing I hate about Hot Tub Time Machine is that John Cusack's character ends up in this different present, and he's suddenly married to this woman that he loves, which is fine, I guess. But he has like no memory of like courting her, the time the time they lived together, whatever you know. If they had kids, I think they had kids and stuff. And but he has no memory of any of this part of his life. It's all. Yeah, if he had the memories, like if he now had two sets of memories, yeah, and that was very confusing to him, that that would be a little bit better. But as it is now, you know, for all people complain about the Wonder Woman thing and that person taking over yeah. someone's life, uh, basically Marty has bumped another Marty's life out of existence mm, and yeah. taken it, taken it over. Yeah, yeah, and everything that Marty has done is now uh, doesn't matter. It's a different person. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crispin George McFly Glover fell out with the production and refused to appear in the sequel for this very reason. Quote, I said to Robert Zemeckis, I thought it was not a good idea for our characters to have a monetary reward, because it basically makes the moral of the movie that money equals happiness, Glover mm-hmm. argued. The love should be the reward. And Zemeckis got really mad over Glover's questioning. The email turned out to be a long one. Time to turn in. Keep up the great works, lads. Peter Ayers. Well, thank you very much, Peter. That's very, very nice. And so we had, we had two very nice emails, and then we had Chris's. <laughs> just kidding just kidding chris you know you know i love you uh so yes it's uh it's great to hear from everyone that's wonderful and and yes 
If you're thinking about it, you should go to Hell Kitty. The website Hell Kitty Studios. Yeah, you go to hell. You go to, you go to Hell uh-huh. Kitty. I'm talking to you, Kitty. Stick of you. Um, you go, go to Hell Kitty Studios and you'll find Super there. And like listener, sneaker, fellow sneaker, Chris Roberts says, it is fantastic. It's a fantastic story. It's a great script and it's great art for Mortat. The coloring's okay. It's not as good as mine, but you know. <laughs> but anyway, just joking. But no, it's fantastic. And it's uh, pay as you want. Pay as you want. You can pay uh, whatever you think is fair to read it, or you can just read it for free if that's if, if you can't, you know, if your life is in straight circumstances. Pay, we make more, and if they don't, we don't. That's basically where we're raising. <laughs> that's where you are. So, if if you like it, if you enjoy it, remember to help out and contribute to it, and we'll get more of them. And that's that's also very special. Uh, I thought it was worth five dollars, so that's uh, oh, oh. so there you go. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so, I, I want to read more, so I'm I'm gonna make I'm gonna put my money where my mouth is. So, um, yeah, check it out. Also, you can go to stinkydragon.com, and if you'd like to leave comments on this week's show to answer this week's question, which is who is your favorite vampire? Gee, do we have another question? Ian? I can't think of one off the top of my head now that I'm doing this. Uh, oh, sure. End of the show uh, thing. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, what is a, uh, what, is, okay. We're talked about, so we talked about games. We talked about recaps. <laughs> we we talked about, uh, the names, you know what, uh, what's your, who's your least favorite vampire? <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's, that's the same question though. You know what? Here's my question. Okay. Here it is. Here's the question. Uh, what should we have as your question of the week next week? Okay. That's a good one. But here's, I have a different question. Okay. What's All your right. favorite movie? Featuring a, a, a popular foreign actor's first time making an American film. Oh, I see. It's going to be like that. <laughs> Do you think that's a good question? That's a good question, yeah. All right. If for our sub-sub question is, what's a good question for next week? Sure. We've had... Uh, we've had. We've only had three and a half hours of doing this today. <laughs> We, we had a question of the week from Kane and Grawl. Yeah. We've had a question of the week from Ben Dragansky. Right. So, uh, you know, if anyone wants to, they're welcome to to leave the suggestion. So, if you'd like to do that, please go to sneakydragon.com. There you'll find this show. You'll find a space underneath it to leave your thoughts, feelings, sentiments, ideas, opinions, and facts. And we welcome all those things. If they agree with us. And you can also leave us or send us an email at sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. That is our email address. We're on Twitter. I forgot to put the post of questions this week, so there are no responses from there. I'm sorry, everyone. I forgot about it. I remember it on Wednesday, and then I didn't do it, and I forgot again. So we'll try and we'll try and make a habit of that anyway. You know, when I remember, it's like one in the morning. I'm like, well, that's a dumb time to put questions up. <laughs> so, uh, um... Yeah, we're on Twitter at Sneaky underscore Dragon. We have a Facebook page, which is called Sneaky Dragon. You're welcome to go there and, and talk to us. We'd like to t- hear from you in whichever way you want to speak to us. If you go to our website and uh, click on the Contact Us uh, space in the, on, on the menu, you will find there our snail mail address. If you'd like to send us chocolates from Australia or from wherever you live, we appreciate con- uh, chocolates from all over the world, as you know. Mm-hmm. And we totally encourage that kind of behavior. We think that's very good. So, everyone, thank you all for writing in. And uh, it's so nice to hear that we, in our own little way, make a difference in your life. I'm glad that we've been able to be companions throughout this past year. I know it's been hard on many people. And so it makes me feel very proud and very happy that we have, uh, you know, just kind of lighten your day a little bit when, when we show up. So that's very nice. 
And uh, so with those words that I'm actually kind of getting a little verklempt, um, we're going to uh, say goodbye. All right. Stay well, everyone. We love you guys, too. (laughs) 